Great to be here with you on this Monday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, it's three and out. A lot to get to here on the show. Emory Hunt football game plan will join us. We'll break down HBCU Legacy Bowl and uh, uh, those events leading up now to the Combine. If we have a Combine, we'll get to that coming up here in just a little bit. But Emory Hunt will join us. Uh, we'll look at the latest prospects there coming out of the HBCUs towards the National Football League. Also, Jamie Chadwell, Coastal Carolina uh, head football coach, will join us. Of course, they've been one of the more prominent FCS programs the last couple of years, 11-2 and two in 2021 after going 11-1 and one in 2020. And we'll have a quarterback returning for year three and Grayson McCall uh, coming up in 2022. So he will join us uh, coming up in hour number two. Dane Young, UGASports.com, will join us. We'll get the very latest with uh, Georgia, very latest with Tom Crean as we come down towards the end of the college basketball regular season. A lot of people saying the days are merely counting down on the Tom Crean era there in Athens. We'll get the very latest with Dane Young. And since today is President's Day, Ben and BJ, I have concocted, it's my chance for revenge, a little President's Day quiz for you later in the show. Great, great. I tested it out. It is. I tested out a couple of people, and so far in the two people that have taken the quiz, collectively, out of ten questions, they've managed to get one point total. So a half a point each. Did you get two? Okay. So there you go. We'll get to that later. It's my sweet revenge because I never get to make the questions or do the quizzes. I'm doing it now. So, so, payback so you is quiz, coming. what, Christian and PJ, and both of them got a half answer? Christian said he got one right. He said he got two right. <laughs> two, okay. two out of one question. So that's, where I, that's where I came up with the half credit. PJ also got half credit on one answer. A different answer, by the way, than what Christian really got half credit. looking forward to that, yeah. yeah that's going to yes, be rough. For me. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it immensely uh, on the show. But we talked about uh, the combine. Are we going to have a combine? I think uh, BJ and Ben uh, will have a combine. question of right now is who's going to be there? How's it going to go? Uh, latest from Adam Schefter about 45 minutes, an hour ago, who uh, quoted a well-placed source. This is from uh, Adam Schefter. Quote, agents are getting on the same page to ask the combine to unbubble, thereby giving players complete access to their physical therapy and performance teams. Additionally, they're asking for a change to the scheduled day of bench press testing and a return to all previous years. Agents are not threatening a boycott, but rather considering advising players in mass to hold off on workouts until pro day. That. Kind of sounds like you're boycotting. Uh, they will still encourage players to participate in the medical interview and non-physical testing, and clubs have expressed privately they are fine with players not working out at the Combine and are more interested in seeing players put their best foot forward. That's the quote from uh, Adam Schefter. Uh, but you're talking about upwards of 155 players potentially that they will advise to not participate in anything but interviews uh, trying to get the unbubble to happen. Basically, they're trying to put COVID protocols there on the combine where it's players, NFL league people, and that's it until you get out of there uh, and that sort of thing. And the agents saying, no, we want our players to have full access to the people they're comfortable with going into what may be, in essence, been the biggest job interview of their football career upcoming. Coming from, a, coming from a person who didn't do anything at the combine, I don't see anything wrong with this. When I went to the combine back, 
in uh, 2004, my uh, my agent expressed to me, "Don't do anything." Now, at first, you know, uh, you know, being a 21 year old young man, I was thinking to myself, "Well, why would I do anything?" He told me to trust him. Now, the combine has come a long way. Like when I was there, did you have guys there with the agents? Yes, but the, the nutritionists and uh, your, your your speed coaches, it's like a it's like what what every agent does. He takes his players and it, his uh and he sent them to a certain place. Like me, I went to New Orleans with t- with Tom Shaw. A lot of guys sent them to different places. I like this. Because I think it makes it even. The thing about the combine is this. We always talk about things that are outdated. We always talk about things that have run its course. The thing about the combine is, because the combine is a requirement. This is the thing. Every player is not there. You're going to go out there and pick the top, I don't know, 300-some-odd players and try to put them in one spot. But, Kevin, BJ, some of you all are talking. I want to see them in person. I I get that part. Hey, we want to see y'all. I want to see how you look. I want to see how you react to certain questions. I want to see how you like you react in like a – like a different type of uh, environment. But I said it to say this. Those agents are smart now. They was like, listen, let me say this. This is not a boycott because they, they're going to have to deal with these front offices. Is it, is it a revolt? Or something? Yeah, yeah, it is. Because the thing about the combine is when I was there, I think about the guys who came in with me as a tight end who did not get to go to any interviews. They call it. They call it the pool. You go over there to the players' pool. The player pool is a lot of. So think about the guys who's going to who's going to Indy just to be there. All they have is the running, the lifting, the testing. But I do. But I do applaud because now, I don't know how much of a circus it is like behind the scenes. Because you see, like now, guys, we come on now. We live in a we live in an instant gratification society now, to where we want to record everything. Guys walking in, got them getting off the plane. Oh, this is my nutritionist. Oh, this is my manager. Oh, this is my publicist. Oh, this is my agent. Oh, this is my so like you something like you said, uh, you know, uh BJ, it ain't a plus one, it's a plus ten, plus twenty. And so just imagine if all three hundred guys decide I want to bring my agent, I want to bring my nutritionist, and I want to bring, you know, my strength coach. Well, that's not, now you're talking about, you know, tripling the size. So I do understand what the NFL is trying to do, but I also understand the agent saying, look, man, I want to give my client the – at this point, all you got is your agent and your nutritionist or wherever you're training. I want to give these guys the best opportunity to succeed. And I told them I was going to be there. Well, we get off the plane – oh, sorry, no access outside of the players. So I do I do understand the logic behind it, but I don't want to hear about 150-some-odd. It should be all of them because this is the thing about the players. I don't want to have a bad performance at the combine and hopefully I have a good performance at the pro day. No, man. I don't get to do over with games. I go out there and play. The, you know, how I played is how I played. So I do understand what the what the agents are doing. It reminds me what my agent did, but I was, but most of the other tight ends worked out. I think about the guys who put in a lot of work who want to go out there and get it done. You know, so I, I think I think it comes down to but how much pressure does it put on those players to go with what the agent is saying when I was planning on doing it, now y'all telling me not to do it. So it, it, it's, it's a lot of moving parts, but I think I understand, I definitely understand the logic of the agent. Well, reading this uh, tweet from Adam Schefter, I guess the, uh, the message from the source, he says that uh, agents will still encourage players to participate in medical interview and non-physical testing. The interview portion, I mean, from the inside out, I know we as fans, right, we love seeing the 40-yard dash times especially, but even the bench press reps and all like that, but from the standpoint of actually moving up and down a draft board or developing relationships with uh, 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 NFL front office folks, I mean, Ben, I know you talk time and time again about the interviews you went through at the Combine. Don't people say that those are even more important, the interviews and just getting to know people and uh, that stuff, maybe even more so than what you what you run in the 40? Yeah. I mean, think about any job you've ever had in life. I mean, you didn't just show up. Hey, man, I'm BJ. I'm Kevin. I'm Cam. 
You know, I'm red. You know, you got you had to go in there. You had to go in there to actually do the interview process. But I, I will say this again: a lot of these things are requirements, right? Like I don't look. I, did I want to? Did I want to go to the combine because I want to see players I I seen around the nation that I see. I want to see you know uh, different guys that I've seen around the country that's in the Pac-12 or the Big Ten. So I want to do it that part. But no one told me about going into a room that's dark and the stage got a light on it and there's a guy standing there and I can hear voices. Oh, that's Herman Edwards because I know his voice. Or oh, that's Bill Cowell because I know his voice. But I'm in there with some box of briefs standing there. Get my height, my weight, my arm length. Like some of the stuff is weird, but but looking back on it, some of these guys could potentially be the faces because of a franchise. I mean, you think about San Francisco, right? George Kittle didn't know he was going to be that good that fast, so they want to know what they're getting. But I will say something you say, Kevin, and I believe it. Even you, BJ, if my tape is not good enough, I wouldn't have got invited to the combine, right? You had to pick me out of three three hundred some odd guys, and that's every position. That's nothing. When you talk about how many guys are actually coming out. I guess what I'm asking is, given that you see some years, and Ben, you didn't do it yourself. No. Guys not do the 40-yard dash. Guys not do the bench press reps. Uh, you're now seeing, again, potentially half, maybe more uh, agents advising their guys not to do it. Is it is it outdated? Do you, do you still need outdated. that stuff? It, I think you need aspects of it. No one saw no one saw the visibility with the players that we have now. Like you got so much more visibility uh, on campus, you know. With the, with but I these mean, guys. everybody getting together in Indian, yeah. No, no, no. Because let's face it, like you know, Anquan Bolden didn't run a fast forty at Florida State either, right? He had, still went up the thousand catch guy. Like the, the, the combine is about. I want to know who's an athlete and who is it. That that's that's all it is. That's that's really all it is. There are there are people that play every sport that can play the sport, but they aren't athletic outside of the sport. There are guys that can I know guys that I play with with the Titans that can do anything on the football field and they can't dribble a basketball. They can't hit a baseball. So they're not athletes. If I've never been fast, when I'm gonna get fast in two months, if I haven't been strong my whole life, I'm I'm eating all the greens and I'm working out, I'm not gonna get strong. Hey man, I need 25 reps. I've never did that. So Sometimes it's highlighting guys that are really, really athletic who also happens to be good football players. And sometimes it's showing, hey, man, I'm a good football player, right? I mean, I'm, I'm sorry that I don't got the measurables, that I can't jump out the gym and I can't run real fast. Listen, I was there with Ben Watson. Ben Watson is a physical freak. I mean, 6'3", 6'4", about 250, 255 pounds, 35 pounds, I mean, 35 reps on the bench, a 4'5", 040. I mean, I wanted to get the hell up out of there. I, I really did. I'm, I'm happy that I – because now they're going to be comparing me to him, but – I just think it is outdated because we're just watching it because that's what we do. I will say this. If we weren't avid sports fans, are we watching the combine? No. Because once the combine starts, like it never stops. All right, we're going to go back out to the DBs now. Because oh, Prime going to show up on the DB day, right? Because that's what he does. Willie McGinnis going to show up on the D-lineman day because that's what he does. Jeff Saturday going to show up. I, so I get it. Maurice Jones Drew going to be talking about the running back. I get it. But guess what? Who cares? I want to know what you do at your pro day. It ain't about the combine. You know, it's cool to get an invite to Indy, but I've known guys, Wes Welker didn't get drafted. That's how much Indy matters, people. I'm telling y'all right now, football players play football. Sorry if he, sorry if he ran a 4-9 in the 40, but I've seen him live in the back. They, they, O-linemen run the 40s now. If O-line run in the 40 and ain't, and ain't to celebrate a 40-yard touchdown pass, he's chasing somebody who just got a pick. So, I, I get it that you got to do it, but I, I think I also think it's ridiculous, some of the stuff. 
Yeah, I, and again, I, 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 Ben, you and I talked about this last week. I think a lot of what they do at, at, at any doesn't relate to football. As you said, like, how many times are you standing flat-footed and jumping straight up in the air? You're not. I mean, you're just not. How many times are you running a 40-yard dash in a straight line with no pads on, by the way, uh, in football? You're not. That would be called you're on the sideline not playing if you don't have any pads on. I mean, well, and, and oh, so, oh, unless you're Vernon Hargraves and then you don't yeah, need no yeah, pads in on. In that case, you know, <laughs> go join the Super Bowl celebration. It's fine. But, I mean, I, I mean, I think a lot of what they do uh, just doesn't – you're looking for something that you should already be able to see, as you said. I, that's why I've been uh, pretty consistent saying, like, I'm, I'm just a big tape guy. Like, hey, does the guy run the fastest 40? Maybe not, but every time I turn on the tape, he's running away from guys who are supposedly fast. What's game speed? I mean, there's a difference. I mean, like well, you I mean, said, there's like, running I, a 40 look, I, I, is, I, is, is not a football I, act, per I, se. I will, I will say this. I was never a fast person. I'm not fast now. I was never a fast person. Did I run Did I run a little... <laughs> Did I run a little faster when somebody was chasing me? Yep. Yeah, I, I, I did. No, no, I hit and, and, you know, and you know what? And you know what? And, and the thing is, too, right? People don't factor that in. Like, people go, look, man. People go, yeah, man, you caught that ball across the middle. Listen, let me tell you something. They, I, I make my money where everybody is, in the middle of the field. They go safety, they go linebackers. But the thing is, too, that's why, you know, during before a play, all you hear is heartbeats. You hear, hey, strong left, strong left, strong right, blue for the two, blue for the two. Hut, hut. During the play, all you hear is footsteps, pass hitting, right? But but things happen so quick. And the thing is, I was motivated. Me, I'm just talking about I was motivated by fear of getting knocked the absolute hell out. Because I see how fast things move, but you realize, hey man, I gotta speed up everything when it comes to the game. So game speed, and, and he know I love BJ, you know I love him. Michael Bullwell is the best example. When against Michael Bullwell, my junior year, they threw me one pass and he picked it off. And he looked at me. I got one pass. No, no, no. I'm sorry. My, my sophomore year. We, we came to college at the same time. Fast forward to my junior year. I did not play. We go to Florida State. We did not play. It wasn't going to matter. We got, we got to break. We wasn't going we was to win that game. Fast forward to my senior year. He don't know that I remember him. So this time, I got him on the backside. Me and Michael Bullware. Now, in a straight line, that's not happening. But I'm not going to have him go in a straight line. I told him, listen, before the play, I remember this. I said, I said, Pinocchio, he don't know what I mean by that. <laughs> I said, well, I said, Pinocchio. He like, what? I'm just trying to get him off his game. Had to put him on a string. Why? Because I'm not, I'm, I'm athletic as he is. I'm not as fast as he is. Fast forward to the pro day. Hey, Ben, how you feel about your 40? Man, I ran as fast as I could. I said, y'all was at Florida State pro day yesterday, right? I said, yeah. I said, Michael Boyd ran a 4-3. Like, yeah, I said, I ran right by him. Because that's football. Like, in a straight line, listen, I had to I had to go out there and work out with Michael Jenkins. Hey, Ben, I want you to trail Michael Jenkins. As if to say I wasn't going to trail him regardless. Michael Jenkins ran a 4-3. I ran a 4-ever, and I got so sick. I was like, Michael, <laughs> would you slow down? So, I, so, so, Kevin, you are right. Game speed, BJ, you are right. Sometimes you're an athlete. Can you play football? That's what I think the combine yeah. should be. And, again, we'll see what, how far this goes with trying to get the NFL to debubble the combine and allow some of these guys in there as it moves forward. We'll come back. Well, look at the pro days versus the combine uh, situation because a lot of these guys will work out uh, there at pro days. Emery Hunt going to join us coming up in about uh, 20 minutes or so here on the program. It's three and out. Good to have you here three and out on this Monday. Emory Hunt, football game plan. CBS Sports will join us coming up in about 10 minutes here on the program. We'll talk about the uh, Legacy Bowl that just took place over the weekend and who improved their stock towards a potential spot in the National Football League. So he will join us in just a little bit. We talked about the combine. A lot of agents saying, look, 
It's not a boycott, but we're encouraging guys not to work out unless the NFL kind of eases some of the restrictions they're putting in place there for the combine. And Ben, you said it, pro days, how much better are pro days anymore? I know the NFL likes the combine because at some levels you would say, hey, maybe it keeps us from having to go to potentially 100 pro days that are out there. Um, but what, is, what can you say is like the biggest difference outside of home field advantage, mm-hmm. the biggest difference you get from a pro day versus going to the combine? You're comfortable. I, I've been on this field, you know, you know, more days than I can remember. And I'm kind of in, I'm in, I'm in a control setting. Like, look, man, I know what these landmarks are. I kind of, I kind of know what to expect. And it, it's like, it's the difference in me inviting you to my house or you inviting me to your house. If I, if I come to your house, I mean, I'm, I'm waiting to sit when you tell, hey, man, don't sit there. That's where the light switch is compared to, <laughs> hey, man, y'all back up. Like, I feel comfortable telling the coach, hey, man, back up some. I'm not, I'm not saying anything in the combine. You, you know, it's like, it's like hurdling, you know, uh, you know, taking, 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 taking a, a bunch of herding cattle all throughout this thing. So I, and for me, the thing is, if I make a mistake at home, I can I can deal with it better. My strength coach Rob Glass, when I did my pro day, did such a great job. I mean, he let every coach there know. I mean, you know, and uh, it was a big time coach there. Bill Kyle was there. Coach Sherman was there at the time with the Green Bay Packers. Mike, I mean, well, not Mike, Bill. Uh, you know, Mike Tice was there. He told him, "Y'all coaches, back up. This these players give these players the best chance." And your teammates are there. Like it's something about having your current and you know, your, 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 your former teammates there to, like, root you on. You got guys coming up to you and say, hey, man, good job on the last one. Just Because now you're getting, you're getting player uh, input compared to coaches. That kind of stuff matters. Hey, man, just uh, your shoulders kind of high on this. These are guys you respect. Plus, to have, former, to have guys that's in the NFL come back, because we did it too. Like, former guys come back to watch you do it. Man, that, that stuff means the world because, look, in these cool, bright lights, I get it. Man, you walk up in there, man, you see that when you see your jersey right there. You see every, everybody's, you know, you come out, people cheering for you. It's more of like a, a a game day atmosphere, except you're not playing against another team. So I, I the combine is cool for those that work for it, but the problem is you find more guys not having good combines than pro days. I forgot to have it's best way to say it, wreck, wreck basketball and you playing at home. If I'm at your court at home, you hitting shots, you wouldn't even attempt at the wreck. You ain't even looking. Oh, that's good. That bank, cause cause you're used to it. Whereas Indy, I just I just remember a lot of those tight ends weren't doing well, cause I think it was the setting. You know, you got coaches saying, uh, you know, making all these jazz, they looking at you. You know, uh, Tom Coughlin sat in the same freaking spot. He was he was with Jacksonville at the time. He was you know he was watching these guys. So I I just I just would say being comfortable, uh, being relaxed, being poised. Because, you know, every every athlete knows if I'm relaxed, if I'm poised, I can just react. I, I'm not really worried about it. And I can live with the result compared to if I would have, you know, if I do well at the combine and I'm, I, I feel as though I got to do it again at the pro day to try to outshine it. Whereas if I don't do well at the combine, I got to try to, you know, out, you know, outdo that performance. But, yeah, just being comfortable, being at home, uh, you there with, you know, for me, you know, for me, uh, people rooting you on. So I would say the pro days is everything because – if you don't do well at the pro day, they're gonna be thinking, "Well, dude, if you can't perform well at home, you're gonna be in pressure situations." And, and on the pros, how are you gonna perform? So I'll, I give you Teddy Bridgewater. He did go 32 overall, but I remember him having a really, really bad pro day. But I guess for guys, if you're looking at it, and correct me if I'm wrong, when you get ready for the pre-draft process, you're making a plan, right? You have a strategy, whether it's the combine, senior bowl, you know, whatever you you're gonna do, whatever opportunities you have, and 
You look at the pro day, and that's a big one. But for guys who are looking at working out at a number of different events, do the results get compared and contrast? Meaning, okay, let's say I go to the combine and I run a you know four five five, and I go to my pro day and I run a four four nine. Is that going to become a talking point? Is that going to become something I get asked about? And do guys, because of that, look at it and say, well, maybe I'll just do it at my pro day to minimize the storylines, minimize the distractions, minimize the headlines. I want to do it where I'm most comfortable. I want to do it where, and and for you, I guess, as a receiver, you're out running routes. Were you catching passes from Chris Leak or Florida quarterbacks? No, 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 no. That's another thing, too. You can only, you can only catch passes from draft-eligible guys. I think it was a guy that played at Florida back in the day. You can't get current okay, guys gotcha, thrown gotcha, to gotcha. because, you know, you can't do that. But, but you're not going through the rotation that you are at the Combine with 12, 15 different quarterbacks and you're in line and yeah, you're switching. Yeah, and, and, and the thing is, too, like, you know, it's a confidence builder. I mean, I, I remember being there and just understanding, look, man, listen, I mean, if my if my position coach come up to me and say, man, just do what you do. Don't you? Listen, man, I said, listen, I said, uh, I said if you, I said if there ain't no balls on the ground, make sure you know, make sure they don't be on the ground. If you know, and 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 somebody goes and when somebody looks at you and say, this is the last time you got to do this. Think about this. This is the last time you got to do this. So, it it's a mentality, man. It really, really is. And I'm happy that I listen to my agent. I'm happy that my agent because because people who don't know, I wasn't a confidence player. Like I didn't have a lot of confidence. In me or my game, I had to. It had to be instilled in me. So my agent say, "Hey, dude, no, no combine, just pro day." When Tom Shaw, Tom Shaw had a lot of people he worked out. He came to my pro. He flew from New Orleans, came to my pro day. He said, "Ben, I want to see. I want to see you. I want to see you go out there and get it." And that's the kind of stuff you like. I mean, John Gruden came up from Tampa. Mister Chucky himself came <laughs> up from Tampa to work me out. And I just remember that stuff. Ja- Jamal Lewis, the great Jamal Lewis, saw me after my pro day. Was like, "Good job, good job, Troop." I, 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 I think I might have told him, "Yes, sir." I know who he is, but I, you know, I don't want to make him mad. I mean, he looked like a little, little swollen, little pit bull man. I ain't want to mess with old. But, but I will say this, fellas, just go to your pro day. I mean, just all you need is one time. You don't need to compare. Because if I run a four seven, hey man, what you think you're gonna run? You get. Ugh. Right, it you kind know, of starts the yeah, conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you don't, you don't, don't give them nothing. Don't compare you to you. Just go out there and do your pro day. We've got more to come here on Three and Out. Emory Hunt football game plan will join us. He was at the uh, Legacy Bowl all last week. Get the very latest from him here on Three and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Out on this Monday, a lot to get to, including uh, obviously everybody looking ahead to the combine. And I recently uh, just finished the HBCU Legacy Bowl this past weekend. Joining us here from. Football game plan to uh, to talk about it. Emory Hunt joining us here on Three and Out. Emory, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing fine, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. So, wh- what are your kind of takeaways from the past week there at the uh, the Legacy Bowl, and, uh, and kind of what stood out about you uh, from from the guys that participated uh, there moving forward? One, it was a great event, and it was you know an event that I'm glad is taking place, and just amazed at the amount of talent that's out there. Uh, when you see a collection of 98 players coming from all different HBCUs out there on the field, guys that have NFL aspirations, um, the the teams look different. Man, it looked like an FBS team out there, and I'm glad uh, they were able to go in, in through the ringer in front of these pro scouts and personnel decision makers uh, for a full week and got that experience. And I'm excited to see where all these guys end up playing uh, on Sunday. 
So much talent, history, and tradition uh, with uh, HBCU football. Talk about this being a showcase for that and uh, coming with more exposure, but also, like you said, just uh, giving student-athletes who are big-time players another chance to go out and, 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 and make some noise in terms of their draft profile uh, ahead of the upcoming draft. Well, it's, it's definitely an opportunity because one thing for sure, uh, we know the NFL, based off how we see it every preseason, um, there's, there's more than enough talent out there to really, you could have 32 developmental teams uh, for the NFL. There's so much pro talent out there. And so when you have these all-star games like you're having, uh, with this one being the new one, it just adds another element to that and showcasing that talent that's out there. And maybe you come up on someone that you didn't know before, someone that forces you to go to the tape. And while you're going back to their tape, you see someone else. And that's how it really snowballs into, uh, you know, the scouting part of it. And I'm glad these guys were really, you know, uh, took to the coaching. Well, they enjoyed the event. They embraced the event. And I, I'm just always looking forward to next year. Emery, uh, people like yourself, you know, Steve White, Jim Trotter, uh, you know, Doug Williams. Uh, you have you have guys that's, you know, play the game, but you got guys that seeing, you know, they seeing another side of football. A lot of times, it's always be about, I want to go pro, I want to go pro, I want to go pro. How important for is it for guys like yourself and like I mentioned, White and uh, Trotter and guys like yourself to let them know, look, you can still be a part of this game. You don't have to be on the field to have a career in this game. That's huge, and it was it was humbling. Number one, but dope to see is how many players knew who I was. Uh, while I'm just standing there, you know, just watching practice, they'll come up, oh, man, you the guy from YouTube, or I watch your show on Next Level Sports, man. You, you know, I saw the interviews you did with so-and-so, and and some guys took, came up like, man, I want to do what you do after I'm, my playing career is done. And, it, it, you know, while it's humbling, because, it, it, one, it makes you seem like you're super old, uh, <laughs> but, two, it's humbling because you're like, man, these dudes really start to get it now, and the fact that they're looking at, the game big picture and and not say, not you know not realizing that uh, you only have to be on the field to have an impact on the game or be involved in a game so they're starting to branch outwards with their thinking and it's great to see because there was a, a seminar a financial advisor seminar that went on during the week um, guys like myself was accessible to these players where if they had any questions they just hit me up talk to me right there and I could answer anything and you know, they're seeing all different media guys that they're able to you know, put a hand on and reach out and connect with. And I think that right there is more important because, as we all know, being able to control your story and own your story is huge. And these guys are starting to get the big picture that is not all about in between the white lines. There are things outside the white lines that are still have you inside the stadium. And Emory, how how much of that is coming out of that week? I know this is something that's recently been started up within the last couple of years, but obviously, as you grow this thing forward, how much of that becomes part of this week as well? As uh, you know, there's football, and obviously, if you just look at the numbers. Not everybody that goes to the combine ends up in the NFL. Not everybody that comes here is going to end up uh, in, in the National Football League. How big of a part of that week do you see that becoming? Like, hey, not only do you love the game of football, but here are ways if you don't reach this part of it to still be involved with it. Oh, it's going to be huge. So there was a career fair that was involved in, as well where guys were able to go and, and drop in their resumes to, to businesses and, you know, organizations that are involved with sports. Uh, just in case, you know, plan A doesn't work out, well, here's a plan B option for them. I think it's going to continue to grow and, and be important. I, I've always told these guys, the, the ones I talk with, that they always ask about the NFL. But I'm like, listen, man, you guys are entering pro football 
at the right time because you have the USFL that's about to come out. You have the XFL that's coming out in 2023. So you have access to four professional leagues in America, or three in America, one in Canada, uh, and you have an opportunity to go play overseas with some of the European-American football leagues that have been in existence that uh, love the guys from the States and, and expose them over there to European culture. It's a, it's a great time to be a football player coming out of college. So maybe the NFL isn't in your cards, but, hey, if you can make a nice living playing in the USFL, XFL, CFL, or even overseas, and by all means do so because you're only young once. You're only going to have this top-tier athleticism once in your life, and football is the one sport that you can't play till you're 50. Uh, you probably have a good three- to four-year window to maximize your athleticism, so why not do it, get paid, and, if, and once you're done, Look at all the avenues that are available to you, whether it's broadcasting, radio, podcasting, coaching, scouting, all of these things you can do within the game uh, that, that still keeps you a part of it. Emory, who were some of the uh, top prospects that stood out the most during the week? Well, everyone wants to talk quarterback, and I, I thought Aquil Glass uh, did a great job. This is someone that, you know, he didn't really have to play in this game, but he was the first selection for the HBCU Legacy Bowl, so it was almost – he had to come and play because, you know, it was an honor to be the first one to, to, to uh, be selected. And so he did a great job this week. He played the NFLPA game. I didn't have any drop-off from that from what I've seen uh, two weeks ago. And you look at another quarterback, Jeremy Hickbottom, he, he did a great job as well. We saw him play well in the game. But one guy that was, you know, truly impressive, and this is the example I talked about earlier where uh, scouts are watching, you know, one player on tape and then someone else stands out. A lot of the talk was about Joshua Williams, the cornerback out of Fayetteville State, who went to the Senior Bowl, uh, played you know very well in the Senior Bowl game and had a great week of work in Mobile. But his teammate, Elvin De La Rosa, was out there at the Legacy Bowl. Fantastic job all week long. He and Trey Gross, who was, who was a wide receiver from Delaware State, uh, did a great job. And, and they were going back and forth all throughout the week. And I thought De La Rosa definitely raised some eyebrows as to, wow, Fayetteville State had two corners uh, that are NFL guys. I mean, he checked in at 6'1", 207, uh, great click and close ability, uh, has the, the press skills that you look for, and was able to play the ball very well. So I thought he was someone that definitely had a lot of scouts uh, scribbling in their notepads by, when it was all said and done. Teron Armstead obviously was there, you know, Arkansas Pine Bluff. You talk about uh, Demario Davis and uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson uh, speaking to the team. Patrick Mahomes was there. Talk about just having current players who are out there making their money, you know, uh, saying, look, man, we can show up because you guys are one of us, and just because we're in the league, we want to welcome you guys before you even sign an NFL contract. Yeah, they, man, that, that really resonated with those guys too, man, because they, you could see the – it was almost like, you know, you're seeing the star for the first time. You're awestruck. You're in the Saints facility, number one, and you're seeing someone that plays for the Saints coming by to, to, to give you some words of wisdom and some knowledge to tell you guys you're on the right track. And to see someone that, you know, like Teron Armstead, that had made it from the HBCU ranks to a long NFL career, uh, it definitely puts these guys in a situation where they're thinking, oh, man, you know, um, we are definitely on the right track and we're, we're doing the right things, and it can't happen for us. So it just, you know, really was able to drive that point home that these guys are, are definitely uh, doing some positive things, and, and you can make it from an HBCU. 
And Emory, finally, I mean, uh, a lot of big names this weekend, none bigger than Doug Williams. I mean, you talk about what he's meant to the game of football, what he's meant to HBCUs, to know that he's the one that started this. I mean, I know he probably got, you know, sick of saying congratulations all week, man, but just talk about his significance of making sure that the HBCU Legacy Bowl gets a standalone, uh, you know, uh, you know, a highlights, you know, for these, for these guys that represent these great colleges and universities. Yeah, I talked to him after one practice. He was just elated just to talk about the game itself and how important it was to get this going. And, hey, man, this is an option uh, for you guys, and this is another opportunity to get seen and bring your scouts to the table. Um, and he's a great dude, man. And, and you could tell that a lot of the weight that he's been carrying all on his shoulders from what he went through as a player, uh, as a coach, uh, is now just being able to you know, you know, know, instill that knowledge, that wisdom, to these players, and he loves talking ball. He loves talking to these guys, and he didn't he didn't shy away from any photo op that anybody want to take with him because he understands the significance of his role, and also understands his place in uh, not only Black history but also HBCU football history as well. Emory Hunt, football game plan. Our guest here on Three and Out. Emory, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. Appreciate it. Emory Hunt joining us here on Three and Out as he was. Live there at the Legacy Bowl last week and talked about a number of the, the players on the field and things happening off the field uh, during that week uh, as well. Yeah, just a great event and a and, uh, great way to honor the HBCU uh, history and tradition. Uh, also give these guys, these incredible student athletes, an opportunity to continue to audition and, and make headlines for the chance at pro football. The National Football League, you're going to see guys certainly go via the NFL draft. Emory mentioning uh, some of the other leagues as well, but I think it was... Incredible to see all the you know the social media uh, uh, posts and just all the rave reviews. I mean, great responses from everybody who was involved, uh, everybody who took part. Of course, Savannah State was represented with Marvin Grunchy, but uh, HBCUs from all over the country, uh, 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 different programs, different conferences. It was great to see, and I think you have a great foundation moving forward for this event. Yeah, it, it was that moment, and uh, I just love the fact that, I mean, obviously I was keeping up with it throughout the course of the week. I mean, the way the guys, sometimes when you're really, really young, you don't really know what you're doing. Like, the magnitude of the situation doesn't really hit you till it's over, but I think it's great that you had guys that, you know, Hopefully, like you said, Emory being no. Listen, look, you know, I, I be feeling old too. I be interviewing like young guys that be. They calling me sir because I'm old enough, unfortunately, to be their dad. But I, but I think what happens is sometimes being in the media, you don't understand your significance to it. You like, oh man, I just cover these guys. Like, no, dude, like you're our, you're our in between. You, you how we get our, you know, if, every time somebody, every time it's something in the NFL. You see this guy, oh, I just got a text from OBJ. He said, we don't understand just how big we are to these guys because I said, listen, man, I'm not going to say anything you don't want me to say, and I will say everything you want me to say. They appreciate that because until I learn how to talk, you are my voice. I don't know how to say what you can say. So I do think that those guys, like I mentioned Steve Watch, Jim Trotter, and, you know, our different guys throughout. But Doug Williams, let me say this right now. I apologize, Doug. When I first met Doug Williams, I was getting recruited, coming out of college. And I we had this restaurant. And I'm like, why are these people asking this dude for autographs? What's going on? And I leave, and I said, my mom said, who else? I said, mom, I just met with this dude named Doug Williams. She's like, what? Doug Williams? Because <laughs> I'm telling you, I didn't understand. So, Doug Williams, let me give you your flowers while you can smell them, sir. I love what you're doing right now because, like my daddy said, man, it's easy to be the second. It is hard to be the first. These guys were the first to do it, and they will be recognized down the line. They're going to be paving the way for other guys. But shout out to but the HBCU Yeah, and, and, and Doug Williams is his presence. You yes. know, everything he's – He's accomplished his his perspective, you know, creating this and 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 being there to talk about it. As Emory said, 
he's happy and eager to take pictures and talk about the student athletes, mm -hmm. talk about the game. Just, just incredible. No, I'm just happy for them. And like I said, they got they got this access that a lot of – think about it. If you didn't go to the East-West Shrine, if you didn't go to the Senior Bowl, if you didn't go to the Combine, you didn't even get what they just got. And every last player didn't get invited. You still had to be invited just because you were a senior. So you're, you're starting your own thing. And, I, you know, the game was – I mean, those jerseys was nice. I mean, kept it simple, black, white. You know, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to go to that gift shop and get me a little Lexi Bowler, reach out, you know, reach out to old Emory, see if he got a see if he snuck one of them helmets out, you know, Emory, get it to that five figure <laughs> discount. No, just playing, but uh no, I'm I'm happy for the guys because I think sometimes, man, to have your own standalone uh, you know, uh, all-star game, it doesn't get much better, man. And hopefully they walked away from football, walked away from this game saying, look, man, I can make it even if football is getting ready to come to an end. Yeah, we've got more to come here on three and out. Jamie Chadwell, head coach, Coastal Carolina, will join us. Breaking news here in the last handful of minutes as we were going to break <clears throat> regarding the University of Georgia, BJ and Ben, multiple uh, folks are reporting that Matt Luke set to step down. That's the uh, the terms they are all using, stepping down as offensive line coach at Georgia, potentially to take another job. Who knows? Nobody is really saying other than Matt Luke stepping down at the University of Georgia. So since the national championship, you've lost Matt Luke, Jamila Dye, Cortez Hankin, Dan Lanning uh, for various three to take other jobs. We'll see what happens with Matt Luke. But Matt Luke, former interim coach there at Ole Miss, one of the best offensive line coaches uh, in the country and certainly had one of the best offensive lines out there here in uh, in 2021, stepping down there from the dogs that breaking within the last five, six minutes. Yeah, did a really good job. And as you said, was the head coach at Ole Miss – uh, 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 prior to taking over as the offensive line coach at at Georgia, replacing what Sam Pittman, mm -hmm. and I think that's a that's a job with the talent coming back. You think about Warren McClendon and all the you know the yeah. recruits that have come there. I mean, I think coaches all around the country, uh, if Georgia wants to do a national surge, that'll be a high profile job that people would would love to have to be the offensive line coach at the University of Georgia. But certainly, Coach Luke did a great job. You wish him the best. Yeah, you really, really do. And look, the expectations are going to be through the roof now. Now that Georgia's finally got over that hump of winning the national championship, you knew it was going to be changes. I mean, obviously, you would hope that it would come uh, quicker than now. But, I mean, you wish uh, Coach Matt Luke uh, nothing but the best. I mean, listen, he's walking away a national championship, bringing a national championship uh, back to Athens. But you know he's going to be highly sought after, not just for what he means to an offensive line, but what he could potentially mean to another team. I mean, it's still yet to be seen who he's going to, uh, what he's going to do after Georgia. But, hey, man, Matt Luke stepping down. Man, you wish him nothing but the best. And, again, we'll see what Georgia decides to do there. But that news breaking in the last couple minutes. So we were going to chat with uh, Dane Young about all the drama with the Georgia basketball. Looks like we got just one more topic to throw on there with Matt Luke stepping down. Um, uh, Dane Young will join us coming up in the final hour from UGASports.com. Uh, so a lot to cover there around the University of Georgia here in the last few minutes and uh, over the last uh, coming weeks. So, Dane Young, final hour of the program. Ben, do you want to give you a minute here coming up March 15th? Got a big uh, event uh, coming up. Tell us more about that real quick. First ever 2022 uh, Men's Symposium going to be held at uh, East Georgia State College Auditorium from 9.30 to 2.30. Uh, it's going to be headlined, uh, you know, by my by, – by me, by myself, by me, uh, Entree Drama and Justin West and Jonathan Hampton from Men Reaching Men, African American Male Initiative. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna be a great time. Gonna be fifteen uh, uh, door prizes given out. Some of those gonna be cash prizes. Breakfast and lunch will be served. Uh, potentially a uh, college tour at the end at two thirty. Uh, guest speaker by uh, Justin West of uh, of um, 
of uh, I'm having a brain fart right now. Nigga Brian. I'm sorry. And uh, but listen, first ever should be a lot of fun, man. Hoping, hoping you come out and enjoy yourself, man. Like I mentioned, the first ever 2022 Men's Symposium, 930 to 2:30, uh, March the 5th, East Georgia State College. And I guess for more information and to get registered, and, yes. And you're talking about high school age and above. Yes, high school age, high school age and above. Crew.com. Yes. Yeah, www.deoncommoncru.com. So deoncommoncru.com. Just and and it's, it's a free event, 9:30 to 2:30. Uh, the 2022 Men's Symposium being held at the uh, auditorium at uh, East Georgia State College, Swainsboro, GA. Coming up on March the 5th, we're coming right back. Jamie Chadwell, Coastal Carolina, set to join us as they are uh, in spring practice. Their spring game set to come up uh, end of next week, and they've been one of the best FCS programs uh, in all of college football the last couple of years, and he will join us when we return. We'll take three next hour and more right here. It's three and out. All across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio Streaming Live, ESPNCoastal.com. You can also. Good to have you along here, three and out on this Monday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, glad you're making us a part of your day. A lot to get to here in hour two on the program. But uh, right off the bat, we are joined by the head football coach, one of the best G5 programs out there, 11 2 in 2021, 11 1 in 2020. From Coastal Carolina, Jamie Chadwell joins us here on 3 and Out. Coach, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate you coming on and joining us. You guys are in the middle of spring right now. Uh, tell us a little bit about how it's going. You guys have become one of the best, you know, kind of G5 schools that have been going the last couple of years. How have you seen that momentum carry over here into spring ball? Well, uh, yeah, right now we're not very good. I can tell you that, but uh, it's a uh, it's uh, it's exciting. You got a new team almost. You know, we lost so many players that were such a big part of what we're doing. Um, and from a talent standpoint, you really like the talent that we have. But it's raw, you know, and, and very green. And I had a chance to play a lot of football. So uh, from a coaching standpoint, uh, mo- probably the most excited we've been about a spring in a long time just from a teaching standpoint and, and trying to see if you can get guys from point A to point B. But uh, really enjoying this group, and, and they're hungry, and they're, and they're out to prove that uh, they they were part of this build too. You know, it wasn't it wasn't just that last class; it was this class that they want to con- continue to carry on what we're building here. Coach, you guys pretty early uh, on the spring practice schedule compared to other programs. Uh, are there advantages to that? Well. You know, from our standpoint, we like it for a couple of things, and and whether other people do or not, everybody I think you know skins a cat a different ways, right? But for us, um, I love that we can we can do it early, uh, see what we need to get better at from a standpoint of whether that's a certain scheme, whether that's certain techniques, and then you got the rest of for us, you got the rest of March, the rest of April before you go home for. For that summer uh, break, you got the rest of the time to to work on that, you know, because of the different things you can do from an NCAA purpose-wise, hours-wise, working with your players, obviously without a football. So I think from a development standpoint, it's beneficial for us. Uh, and then, two, if you do get injuries, uh, that extra month or so is a big deal to getting guys back for a season. And so we, we've seen the benefit of that as well over the last few years. And, and uh, so we like doing it early and uh, and sort of seeing where our team is going into going into March, and then get a chance to really work on those things we need to fix. Coach, when you think about you know you think about you know the Sun Belt Conference and how much uh, you guys are just really prove yourselves to be. Listen, man, we got staying power. How much has the last couple of years kind of helped you know uh, show the rest of the team, man? Look, man, we're not we're not a one hit wonder. We understand what it takes. We understand that it's going to be a a week a day in day out approach to kind of take that approach when they are uh, going on right now with the spring. 
Well, I think the last two years have obviously been huge for us. You know, you had the you had the twenty year, and everybody thinks, hey, there you know might be a flash in the pan. And then we followed up with another really good year, and so you know now that's the expectation, right? That's the standard of, of the program. I'm not saying you can win eleven every year, and and, and uh, you know we're going to try, obviously, but I think just the standard of being competitive and competing for the conference. Uh, as you guys know, this conference is as good as there is in G5, especially with the new additions coming in, the coaches that are in here, the players. Uh, this is a uh, very, very tough football conference. And our side of the division, especially the East, is very challenging. And so uh, to, to, to be competitive and to win it, you're a really good team. And for us to do those things, to continue to build our program to do that, you know, that's a lot of work to do. But it's, that's the exciting part about it, being a part of a conference that's so good week in and week out. I'm Jamie Chadwell, head coach, Coastal Carolina, joining us here on a Three and Out. I know you're, uh, your quarterback, Grace McCall, out for spring, but – Coming back for a third season, probably going to be one of the more talked about quarterbacks in the country. How comfortable are you with that guy at this point? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, we're definitely uh, thankful to get him back, no doubt. You know, and, and the way that he's played the last couple of years, his his his, uh, his improvement on and off the field, his growth as a quarterback, uh, as a as a leader, really just as a man, has been just been uh, great to be a part of, to see how he's handled all the success that he's had and not allowing it to go to his head. Uh, and we're definitely thankful that he's back. And, and he is missing this spring, and, and so this, this offseason is big for him from a rehab standpoint to get himself right where he can you know come back and, and have a great uh, – who knows if it's a final season or not, uh, have, a, have a great third season, I'll just put it that way. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's a special, special talent and special player, and uh, he's going to make us go, no doubt. And uh, we've just got to put some, put the right pieces around him, and if we do, you know, he'll, he'll give us a chance each week. Coach, how have your other uh, quarterbacks looked here during spring? I know you mentioned you have playmakers to replace all over the place, but what's the evaluation been like uh, without some key names there on offense? What have you seen? Well, you know, we do have two quarterbacks back, Bryce Carpenter, who was our – uh, been our backup the last couple of years. He's back for a, a fifth year, the COVID year there, and so he's here and, and, and taking, you know, doing obviously doing some good stuff for us to spring. Some guy we feel confident with about winning some games. He's won some for us here the last few years. Uh, Jared Guest is is been now going on. He'll be his third year in our program, uh, and he and he's the guy's got to take a next step. You know, he he came in unfortunately. He came in with Grayson in the same class, and so got overlooked. But he's obviously got some ability as well. So we're we're, we're excited about his growth and his development. And the guy we think we can uh, have a chance to win with as well. So we feel good about our our two quarterbacks that are behind Grayson. If something does happen there. You know, the biggest thing for us is uh, who are we throwing it to consistently? Who, who are we handing it off to consistently because we lost some good players? Uh, and that's been the, the challenge for our coaches this spring is just identifying. We, we arguably have the most talent we've had in a long time as far as just flat-out football players' speed and those things. Uh, I think we've recruited well in a lot of areas. Uh, but now they've got to go actually go out and do it. You know, they can't talk it. They can't. It can't be on a piece of paper. Oh, you're pretty good. You actually have to go out and do it against, you know, real competition. And so this spring's been challenging from that standpoint of trying to identify who's ready to step up, who needs, who still needs some growth opportunities. But uh, uh, receiver and O line has been our, our our biggest question marks right now, and that's what we're working hard on, at least offensively on the offensive side of the ball. And coach, speaking of uh, speaking of uh, trying to replace a guy, Isaiah Likely was a big time player for you guys at the tight end position the last couple of years. How was the tight end position coming along uh, this year? Now, who's who's kind of stood out right now? 
You know, I don't know if we could have two or three guys that would replace Isaiah. Uh, you know, he was that good, just a special, special talent. You know, and going to be going to be a second, third round draft pick, something of that nature. I mean, just a, just a really, really good. And so we've got, you know, we've got a couple guys, Xavier. Uh, uh, who was hurt last year? Who was transferred from Oregon State? Who played? He played some, but he was hurt quite a bit. He's our starting guy right now, and and uh, he's got some talent, got some ability that we like. You know, he's got to continue to grow. T.J. Ivy, who was a transfer from Indiana last year, played quite a bit of football for us. He's back as well. And then we've got to rely on some young guys. Uh, Logan Malden, who's been in our program a couple years, uh, who redshirted, tore his Achilles during the COVID year. Uh, is is back finally and healthy, and so we've got some young guys that are that are ready for uh, ready for their opportunity. Uh, but it, it's going to be more by committee. You know, we don't we don't have that that special player like Isaiah. We don't have that right now, and 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 so you gotta you gotta use each and everybody's specific what they're good at and try to put them out there to use that role. And that's what we're that's what we're learning through the spring. What what can they do? What we feel like they can accomplish, and then try to mix and match to equal what we what we had. Jamie Chadwell, Coastal Carolina head coach, joining us here on 3 and Out. Coach, you mentioned the, the transfer portal. How have you seen that kind of evolve for a place like Coastal Carolina and how you're able to utilize that to uh, to supplement your roster and get guys in that can help you out? Yeah, I, I think that's the, you know, that's the plan. Is for us, we've, we've tried to approach it. Obviously, you're going to use it. You have to. Uh, we, we've tried to use it from a situation, hey, do we, have, do we have currently on our roster, do we feel like we've got the – places in or uh, pieces in place that we don't need to go out and try to bring somebody in and if we do then we're recruiting high school wise if it's somebody where hey we just either we've not developed at that position or whatever's happened then you got to go out and try to find the portal so we, we've mixed and matched that i think over the last probably two years we've probably averaged uh four or five if i had to say in the portal at some at some positions or combined positions over the last couple uh, seasons of recruiting since it's been there. And so, uh, you know, you hope – the challenge is you hope you bring in the right people that can contribute. The ones we brought in last year, uh, for the most part, uh, contributed in some form or fashion. I'm not saying they were all all-stars or anything of that nature, but they found a role and, and made a role for us. And that's what you're really hoping is can we bring, can we bring somebody in that will help benefit our program and our team and, and fit the role that we're asking them to do. And hopefully they're a great player, but more importantly, they, uh, you know, they're a great fit for, for your culture. Cause I think that's always the challenge when you're bringing in new people is you want to make sure they fit what you're building in your current team. Coach wanted to ask you about the last couple of years at large with, with coastal Carolina, where I think Kevin mentioned a moment ago, you know, when you guys first started having that national level success, Everybody was talking about, you know, the nickname and the field and, you know, this is a new program at the FBS level, but now you've done it for a couple of years and now you're a program that when you look at your last 25, 30, 35 games, you compare favorably to just about anybody else. How has that transition gone from relatively new name to now? You've been one of the most consistent programs in the country and that that, that expectation is in place beyond just maybe some folks talking about you for the first time. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest uh, you know thing you notice is more people recognize your brand, more people recognize you on the road. They recognize you, you know, recruiting and different things because because it wasn't the one hit wonder. Uh, and so I think we we have more of a uh, of an opportunity because of the the past two years, more of an opportunity to continue to to grow the program because you have some instant name recognition now. And so that's 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 been good. I think the the biggest part for us that we've had to try to navigate through this is 
the expectations, you guys know this, the expectations within your program has always been high, right? And now uh, those expectations within, everybody outside expects that. And so that's a different type of pressure uh, if you allow it to be. You know, it's one thing to have your own internal pressure of, of trying to, to meet the expectations, but now there's all the different noise that can get involved. Well, y'all are supposed to do this, you're supposed to do that, you're supposed to do this. Where that happened, wasn't that way before, it was sort of happy-go-lucky, oh, listen to this story. And, and so that's the biggest, I think, the change from a mindset that you still have to you still have, to have a, a chip-on-your-shoulder type mentality to go out and still prove, hey, we're, we're, we're still trying to prove ourselves. Uh, and I think when you have success and when you, when, you, when you have it when maybe it's not expected, um, there's a challenge once you want to continue to do that because you don't become the darling anymore. You know, now, now people stop liking you. They, they, they only like the underdogs for so long, right? And so uh, I think that's been – we've seen how that's happened, especially last year and, and coming into this, these, these future years is the mentality you still have to have to continue to, to, to climb, continue to build. Coach, you talk about not being a flash in the pan. You talk about doing it for two years in a row. You talk about the expectation being known uh, outside of uh, your your geographical location. But what what is what is your approach? Is I know as a coach individually, you uh, challenge yourself. What has been your approach uh, this year going into this spring, saying how can I get better as a coach to help this team go out there and perform at their best in the fall? Well, I, I think that's the biggest thing from a from a coach standpoint. You you got a different group. You got a different different uh you know people in the positions and so from my standpoint hey what what was working for us and how can i continue to do that but also i've got to change try to change the message i got to try to uh reach people in a different way because you got a different group for the most part we lost 20 something uh contributors that were a big part of the of the turnaround over here the last three years and so all the guys that were here now uh have been a part of the success and they really not had to earn it and so really that messaging uh, from a standpoint, how can I get the message across of what our expectations are, who we are, and how we do things? How do you tell that to a group that all they've known is twenty-something wins? They didn't know the the three and nines and the five and sevens and being the laughing stock, right? All they've known is top twenty-five and everything's great. And so for me, um, it, you know, it's not the fundamental pieces of things that you do in your program. It's more so the messaging and how how do you reach a different a different group of people? And so I've really tried to work hard on that this spring of of laying out the expectations and our standards, but also doing it in a way to where uh, we've got this young group, we can bring them along the way they need to bring, you know, come along. Where I might yell, truthfully, I might yell at this group a little bit more already, just because, and I say yell more, more of a uh, authoritative coaching, just because they're a little bit younger, and I think they need that a little bit more than the guys that were, you know, as old as me, you know, been here the last couple of years. Jamie Chadwell, head coach, Coastal Carolina, our guest here on Three and Out, Coach. Really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thank you all very much. God bless you. Appreciate it. And, uh, again, their spring game coming up on March the 3rd there. And as you said, uh, might this be an expanded well, – he didn't say that, but might there be an expanded uh, Sunbelt Conference by the time they play this fall? We'll have to wait and see. We talked about that situation certainly last week. We've got more to come. Take three around the corner next right here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. <sighs> the son of – good to have you along here on – Three and out on this Monday. A lot to get to still to come. We'll chat with Dane Young, UGASports.com. Certainly a lot going on with Tom Crean and the Georgia basketball program. And many people saying it's just a matter of days like, hey, the season will be done in, uh, what, next week. And then as soon as Georgia loses in the SEC tournament, that'll be it. So we'll talk to 
Uh, Dane Young about that. And then, oh, by the way, within the last half hour, the breaking news that Matt Luke is stepping down as offensive line coach there at Georgia. So plenty to get to there with Dane coming up at the top of the final hour. And in honor of President's Day, BJ and Ben, you get to do a little President's Day quiz yeah. on the president. So we'll get to that again. Some of the other folks in our office combined scored one out of ten. So are we getting to work together? If no, I'm, no, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll ask the question as regular trivia. You can buzz in, give a guess. The other person will get a chance to answer if you get it incorrect, which I feel like is going to be most of the questions. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this in a big, big way. That being said, let's take three here on Three and Out. Now, apparently, we'll bring on the son of... He wants to read the questions today, Ben and BJ. So, you're what? You got to say it into the microphone so somebody can hear you. I'm back. <laughs> With authority. With authority. All right. Lay it on us. Take three. What you got for us today, buddy? Take one. Should there still be a handshake line after games? Yes, there should be if it's lower than high school. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. What is that? I mean, oh, anything less than high school? Is shake, that's what he's saying. Okay. So if you're not in high school, you don't have to shake hands. Up above that, you don't have to. Yeah, that's what he's I saying. Mean, no. And you had the fight or the. the yeah, that's the, what that's in regards to. Scuffle, whatever that was. Uh, I think you can still have it. I mean, I think for the most part, look, right after a game, emotions are going to be high. Uh, uh, the energy is going to be high. I think 99% of the time, you know, people are able to say, hey, if I'm frustrated or whatever, I'll yeah. deal with it in a different manner. We'll do the handshake line. I think it's a good thing for sportsmanship. Now, is it, I mean, would it be a devastating change if you got rid of it? No, I, I, I don't think it's something you have to have, but I think it's I think it's still viable. I think you can still have it, and, and I think that if, you know, if you're, if, you're, if you're frustrated or you need a minute, you know, turn around, walk off, take a couple of seconds, take a deep breath, whatever, but I think it's fine. I think you can still have it. I mean, I think you can, but I don't, I don't think it should be mandatory. I think sometimes, too, we just kind of, we try to, like, uh, push this notion of sportsmanship, like, 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 like down people's throats in a sense. You're like, oh, everybody. No, no, no. This is sports. Look, teach me how to play the game. You teach me how to go out there and make sure I respect the game. You can't make me. Sometimes I don't want to. Hand, sometimes I don't know. I don't want to even be, do handshakes with my teammates because I'm that frustrated. And the thing is, BJ, you're right. You can breathe. But let's face it. You know who want to do post game press conferences? The team that won. You know who really want to shake hands? The team that beat you so they can shake your hand a little bit harder and look at you in your face. And let's face it, we're petty, right? Like, I don't want to shake his hand. Like, I don't want to look at him. I don't want to look at him any more than I have to do it. Football, they could never do this. It's too many guys. Matter of fact, the greatest football player on the planet Earth at defense loves a fight. He After a game, he took off his jersey, shoulder pads, put on a helmet, and ran at the guy who he had beef with during the game. I'm just saying, don't make it mandatory. If we want to do it, we can do it. And if we get into scuffles, that's called being human. Now, I'm not – I know we – BJ, you mentioned the Jawan Howard situation, um, head coach of Michigan, over the weekend. But that means that, man, look, I don't like this guy. So let me get this straight. He just beat the brakes off of me. Now I got to go shake his hand and say, good game. What if he go, good game for one of us? I'm telling you, it's going to cause a problem. <laughs> it's going to cause a problem. And, and all I'm saying is this. We, we played old man football. BJ, we talked about last week a little bit. I don't think he was on one of those shows. BJ, if you're, quote, not throwing the ball the way you want to that day, your shoulders kind of – He's not, he's not Joe Namath in New Balance. Yeah, he's not that doing day. it. He's just and, not and doing then, it. And, Ke- and then, and Kevin, you know, and Kevin's on the opposing team. And you finally throw that thing, Kevin picks it off, 
you know, kind of like, you know, spikes in your face. Are you going to want to shake his hand? It's a good job, Kevin. Give him, give him kind of a half hand slap. No, I mean, but uh, I will say this. I'll, I'll have the opposite take. I mean, uh, again, not mandatory, I guess, but with all due respect, like Dick Vitale and people who's like, no, we'll just get rid of it. It's like, come on, man. Like, in sports, that's part of it is learning how to deal with defeat. And I think in this case, I heard Stephen A. comment on it earlier. I agree with him. It's like, in this case that you're talking about, Juwan Howard is the coach. Like, head coach, if, yes. if anybody has to be held to a higher standard post game, it is the coach. So, for both sides, Greg Bard, Juwan Howard's like, listen, both of y'all, I can understand if a player gets frustrated, you are the head coach. You cannot be instigating. You cannot be going. Yes. You, you, got, you guys can't. Yeah, yeah, you, you cannot got, you be got, doing that. Yeah, keep but up, I, keep but up I also say this. This happens every time there's an incident in a handshake line. Like, we, we really shouldn't be doing this. How, how, how many post-game fights were there in the NFL this year? Zero. How many post-game fights were there in college football after the game? Zero. How many post-game fights were there in college basketball this year after the game ten. that you know about? There was 10 of them. It wasn't. No, I'm saying. <laughs> okay, well, there's this one. There's this one. Yeah. And there's this one. And there's somebody said, no, no, like, no, 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 two Kevin, weeks ago, no, like, Kevin, North, Dakota, you're, you're, like right. North Dakota State and, like, Oral Roberts got into it after. So there's, like, two out of the thousands of college basketball games that happened. Like, I don't think this is a big deal where, I mean, yes, it's a big deal to happen, but. The handshake line yeah, is not, not yeah, some it's kind it's of, not because of the, it's not because of the handshake line. Yeah. It's basically what yeah, we're it's not, not starting World War three. We're not yeah. starting World War three because we're shaking hands after the game, saying good game or not good game or whatever at the end of the game. And and Ben for the guy says, well, one of us. Well, guess what? I've learned in sports. Sports are humbling, and payback is a you know what. Oh, so, oh it's coming. Uh, but, oh, it, but, but it is what it is. That being said, move on. Give us take two here, little guy. Take two. Are you in favor of the new cake, Ben? which Vanderbilt utilized this weekend, which is a wristband that displays the pitch call from the dugout. I hate it. If I was the catcher, I'd be mad, and I would sit my butt on that bitch. <laughs> so I'm not playing. Not doing it. Ah! <laughs> you going to be all right, Dad? Hey, that's a strong take, Rhett. Oh, my gosh. Tell us how you really Yeah, tell us how you really feel there, buddy. No, the K band apparently. The K band, yeah. like, if you watch, that was a big thing around college baseball is that Vanderbilt had a wrist uh, band that all the, every single one of their pitchers wore. So instead of the normal, hey, catcher pitcher relationship, they just hit a button or whatever in the dugout and it said, "Here's the pitch we want thrown. This is the location we're going for." And I guess the catcher obviously knew about that as uh, that as well. And I guess it's supposed to eliminate sign stealing and and stuff like that. I I think it's a little ridiculous. This yeah. is the one case where I think technology has gone a little too far and like. So we're going to be upset about the Astros taping stuff in the outfield, but we're going to give the home team or whoever wants the other team something where they can just relay signs to a wristband. I mean, how do we not know that there's a little something on the wristbands like it buzzes twice when we we stole their steel sign? Like, how do you know? I think it takes away takes away, little, little bit, takes yeah, away from crazy. the game a little bit. I mean, I mean, like Rhett said, you're talking about the relationship between the pitcher and catcher and the communication. I mean, Rhett, you're right. That's a, that's an important part of the game in terms of, you know, guys developing relationships and being able to effectively communicate. That's an important part uh, of the game. And look, if we do see technology come in and become a more uh, featured part of baseball across the board, yeah, there are going to be positives to that. And and I think we can all appreciate those. But right now, to, to, to kind of change that dynamic of the sport, which is such an important part 
of, you know, making sure everybody's on the same page. And I understand, Kevin, you're talking about, you know, can can there be sign stealing and then how does that impact the game and is that gamesmanship? I understand some of the minutiae there, but I still think at the end of the day, you know, baseball is is unique because because of a couple of things. There's no clock. So you're 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 trying to kind of address all of this and deal with all of this through signs and communication and and it's it's a it's a very it's a very unique sport in that regard. And I think this in some ways kind of takes away from some of that. So at least initially, I, I I don't think I'm a fan. I'm not I'm not I'm not a fan of it because baseball isn't broken. You you institute things when you because something else is bad. No, it's not bad. You know, I need a wristband if my wrist is hurting. I need a band-aid if I got a, you know, if I got a little flesh wound or something. You know, it's like it's bad. You don't need a K-band. And I and I see who they this is all marketing too now. Look at who they look at who is quote endorsing it. Now, you talk about, you know, Kevin and BJ, we in the NIL world. Now you talking about NIL and trying to let guys kind of like you know embrace this as far as branding. Yeah, but come on, man. This is what Kevin's really saying. MLB already just got a universal DH, man. What do you try? What what? But it's what not is, part what of the value you of a catcher, right? Yeah, it's, yeah of- it's like you you train a catcher to say, look, you are the manager on the field. What Yadi uh, uh, Yadi Molina? Hey, I know the game. I've studied the opposing team. I know where to frame pitches. I know what pitches to call. I know about sequencing. I know all of that stuff, and that's what. That's why a lot of people say, hey, the catcher is really the quarterback of a baseball team, yes. and why people. I've had countless people say, hey, man, catching is a hard job. But when you get into that high school, a college, minor league baseball, where they're asking you to call the game, know the other team, know the pitchers on your staff. I mean, if you think about that, not just, hey, there's a reason you have us all sitting there and game plan. There's a reason you have us sit together in the bullpen. There's a reason you have us sit together in the dugout. So we talk about these things. We don't need you pressing buttons over there telling him what to throw. I got this. That's what I would be saying if I'm a catcher. Yeah, you're calling yes. the game. Yeah. yeah, this is my game. You go sit back. You sit down. Yeah, there you go. I'm telling you what to do with that K-man. Well, that's take two. Go on, take three. What you got for us here, Rhett? Take three. There continue to be talks about changing the MLB playoffs. Should the current format be expanded? Absolutely not because the, <laughs> the normal format is a lot better. Yeah. Okay, there you go. So there's his take. And how come you're louder when you're not on the mic than when you're on the... Anyway, that being said, go it's ahead. It's always easier to be louder when yeah, you're yelling away from the mic. No, Red, I got to disagree with you here, man, because I think, and your dad has made this point before, when you add another playoff spot, it it incorporates basically two, three, four, five more teams sure. and, and, and gives their fan base a reason to be interested down the stretch because with the limited number of slots right now, even with an expanded field already, you're still talking about the last month plus of the season, which is crunch time. The majority of the teams in the sport, given the way the you know baseball just unfolds with a 162-game season, you're going to be out in many cases seven, eight-plus games with a month plus to go. You're not making that up. So the stretch run of your season for the majority of teams in Major League Baseball is irrelevant. And you focus more on the September call-ups and young guys and all like that, whereas I'm not saying you have to do the NBA model where I think, what, 10 of of, of 15 teams in each division get in. I don't love yeah, that's that. That's a little crazy. I don't love that because you're normally talking about multiple teams with below 500 records, sometimes well below 500 records, getting in. But I think the idea of another slot, I know they're talking about some things like could you pick if you're the number one overall yeah. seed who you play? I don't know about that. Uh, but I think the idea of another slot or an expanded format so that more teams can be involved, 
Less teams want to trade at the trade deadline. More fan bases have reason to be interested. There's a more, there's a more, uh, there's a larger race. There's a, there's a, there's a more expanded race in terms of, of who's interested, who's got a shot, who could win two out of three and suddenly be in it. I, I think those are storylines that make baseball more exciting. Yeah, and I, th- and I think it rewards uh, teams that's always trying to, that's usually like bottom feeders saying, look, man, how do you reward a team that's not going to win their division, Kevin and BJ, but be able to say, look, man, we found a chance to get into the playoffs. I mean, I it, listen, every every single league is top-heavy. The good teams remain good teams for a long time. They don't go away. And sometimes, you know, uh, a team that haven't been around uh, sometimes ever – Gets to crack that. Now, I, I do like it. Now, I will say this, Kevin, when you were telling me about, you know, the team at the top don't pick their winner. I'm, I'm going to play them. Well, you <laughs> could be picking a team that you're going to lose to because postseason baseball, what happened in the regular season doesn't matter. You want enough games to get the number one seed and things of that nature. So I do think that, uh, you know, uh, you know, expanding on the, uh, you know, the uh, playoff process is going to help because I do think sometimes – you know, so there are certain teams that are making progress, but we can't be basing them on the, the teams in the league. That's, I mean, the teams in baseball, Kevin has got that spending that's spending like you know, like the Yankees. Like, well, look, we got to compete in the same league. This team that they gonna they gonna be either be right there at the you know right there spending like with certain teams. Uh, you know, we're never spending two years. So I do <laughs> think awarding teams is a good thing. And like you said, BJ, some of these teams got rampant fan base. Some of these teams got great traditions. They just can't beat the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Braves and so on and so forth. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, yeah, being able to expand, I think, is always a good thing because I think that being able to have, you know, more more eyes, uh, teams that you haven't seen, you know, and, and a.k.a. Cincinnati, yeah. right? A team, even though that is football. Hey, man, you realize, man, there are good players. And who knows? Who knows? If you do this, Mike Trout. Might <laughs> make it to the playoffs. Like, see, like, and I know that, that's crazy, that, right? That's the uh, that's the ultimate goal. Just like Team USA in the World Cup. Just keep uh, rewriting what, the rules until you, uh, <laughs> until you get Mike Trout into the uh, into the playoffs. No, I, look, I, uh, I, I expanded playoffs can't work. I think they have worked so far. Just even with the wild card round, you get more teams interested. And I know what you're saying. A lot of teams who are out are already out. But I do think in September, this last go round, you did have six or seven teams that might have otherwise given up who still thought they mathematically had a chance to get in. I do think it's baseball, and 162 means something. Like, if you stink after 162 games, you're probably going to stink when it comes time uh, to move forward into the into the playoffs somewhat. But you are playing more condensed series. I think you got to make that 162 matter because that is a lot of games. That is a lot of games. You know who's good and who's not uh, by that point. That's take three. We do it every day at this time. We're coming back. We'll talk with Dane Young coming up top of the final hour and also a little President's Day quiz final hour for BJ and Ben. But a lot of news around the National Football League still to come. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. We'll hear from Dane Young, UGASports.com. Coming up top of the final hour, also in honor of President's Day, I have turned the cards on BJ and Ben. I'll get to ask the questions today for the President's Day quiz. Should be a lot of fun uh, racking their brains coming up in the final hour of the program. But some news out of the National Football League, obviously, with the draft and who knows what's going on, uh, or the combine, with the combine, with how many players might potentially just not work out because of the rules there. The Steelers did make it higher. They get Brian Flores as the linebackers coach and senior defensive assistant. Of course, Brian Flores currently has a lawsuit against the NFL, Dolphins, Giants, and Broncos. Uh, alleging racial discrimination during the interview process. So uh, that is still ongoing, but the Steelers bringing him in as a assistant defensive coach and linebackers coach. 
And I think it's very good to see, you know, this is uh, Brian Flores should still be the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. I mean, this is a guy that's, that's had a very impressive career. And I think uh, his, his lawsuit is uh, something that, that, that points to something that I think we all see and, and, and we all acknowledge. And I think, right, it was filed with the uh, anticipation that it would be a, a, or it will ultimately become, right, a class action uh, lawsuit. But I think Brian Flores is one of the best coaches in the National Football League. Uh, you're talking about a coach that has had great success as a position coach and coordinator and head coach. And there were some people who wondered when the lawsuit was filed, right, will he will he get a job in the near future? I mean, will teams stay away? Will teams not want to – so so kudos to Mike Tomlin, to the Steelers, uh, for bringing him on board on the staff. Listen, kudos, kudos go uh, – it go, it go farther back than that. I mean, listen, uh, I'm not going to mention, I'm not going to get free pub, uh, but uh, there's a certain podcast that I like to watch, uh, and uh, they was talking about this, Ryan Clark. Jenna Carter, Fred Taylor, they had Hugh Jackson on, former Raiders and uh, Cleveland Browns uh, coach. And he was talking about, they were talking about, uh, you know, uh, Coach Flores. And uh, he asked him about it. He said, Mike Tomlin. He says, Mike Tomlin has to has to understand how much power he has to be able to uh, start hiring, uh, you know, black coaches. I think this is the first time in Mike Tomlin's career he's ever had a black defensive coordinator. And he hired, uh, you know, uh, Coach Brian uh, Flores. The, the the significant the significance of that is this, you need somebody to stand out there uh, that has one a culture pedigree and two an organization. What well, the Art Rooney Rule got instituted by the Rooneys, who happens to be the owners of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mike Tomlin has won a Super Bowl. Mike Tomlin has never had a losing record. This might be the greatest thing he's ever done to the coach because when people go, why Mike Tomlin just showed you why black head coaches matter in the league? Why? Because I have hiring power. Right now, if he has to fire him down the line, but wasn't nobody else jumping out there? I bet you them other thirty-one teams wasn't jumping out there because they can't deal with it. In order to bring in a guy, if if Randy Moss goes gets picked up by New England, Robert Kraft, Bill Belichick, ownership, cachet, nobody's gonna say a word, right? Art right, Rooney, you talking about you talking about Mike Tomlin and his. Re- that's what I love about this high is. No, no one ever says Brian Flores can't can't uh, can't coach. He's not into taking money for losing, and he needs somebody to give him a shot. That's what. That's why we always say this. You know, uh, the great Jay Z had a line in one of his songs. He says, "How high is high enough?" He said, "When we're eye to eye with the higher ups." That's what. That's what. Uh, that's what uh, Mike Tomlin just did for Brian Flores. And listen, however it ends up, it ends up. I'm saying, is this is. Could he be a head coach again soon? Is this a step towards that? Well, BJ, even if he doesn't, he's employed by the same league. He's he's you know uh, he has a lawsuit against. And let, and for those people saying no, no, this happens a lot in corporate America. People, for those who don't know, there are a lot of people who are suing the same company that they work for. But he has he is an active coach, and he and listen, he's going up against policies and procedures in the in the, in the NFL. Three teams in particular. But man, shout out to Mike Tomlin, man. I will say, so people go, why did Mike Tomlin do this before? Maybe he didn't have enough stripes on the wall first. There are things you do in year fifteen at your job that you didn't do in year one. Year two, but shout out to Mike Tomlin for giving uh, giving Brian Flores an opportunity. We'll see what happens with it, but I think they got a front office that can deal with whatever type of backlash that's going to come from it. But right now, he's currently on that staff, and if he gets and, and I don't know what the, what he wants to come out of his class action uh, lawsuit. But shout out to Mike Tomlin, man. Shout out to Ryan Clark, Chandler Crowder, Hugh Jackson, and Fred T. Because they talked about this very thing, and here it is. I'm not saying they're the reason why, but I'm telling you, man, if you don't think narratives on these platforms matter, you better think again. Well, and and. Uh... Flores, one of the one of the best coaches in the league. I mean, I think this is a guy who has earned the right to be a head coach. 
uh, was very successful in Miami, and I'd like to see him get another head coaching opportunity, but good to see him back in the league. And we'll see how that plays out. Obviously, you have an active suit against the league and three teams. So uh, that's, there's a lot. There's a lot that uh, if you want to talk, Ben talks about people are petty and hold grudges. You are suing me. I may not well, want well, to give you a job. So, I mean, he, like, he ain't suing Pittsburgh. Like, you ain't yeah. suing us, right? Yeah, I'll come on in. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I'm saying it, it <laughs> yeah. does t- that there is an opportunity there for Pittsburgh uh, to, uh, to to have him come in and do a good job. But again, like you said, he is got in the middle of a lawsuit against three teams uh, in in the league. We got more to come here. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin. Good to have you back on this Monday. We'll hear from Dane Young, UGASports.com, coming up top of the final hour. Pretty, uh, pretty busy time there in Athens. Uh, obviously with uh, now Matt Luke earlier today, apparently expected to step down as offensive line coach. And, of course, Tom Crean and that uh, basketball saga uh, there in Athens, BJ and Ben. They are not a great basketball program. Had a lot of kids transfer out. Uh, their team this year mostly transfers uh, playing. And I think they're, what, 6-21, and 21, something like that. And a lot of people saying maybe it's just a, hey, the season ends, uh, you lose your game in the SEC basketball tournament, and that's going to be it uh, for the Tom Crean era there in, in Athens. But where do you go from there to try to turn that around? Because you are 14th out of 14 in the SEC, and you're actually seeing a league, BJ and Ben, I think starting to care at least a modicum about basketball, right, with Tennessee's and Auburn's and, some of, the, three, and yeah. some of those uh, that are coming around to join up with the, the likes of Kentucky. I know, so Florida I'm not, just beat Auburn. Go ahead and get it out. No, no, no. I'm, no I'm, I'm, say, I'm, and I'm saying it's like they're, they're always a football-first conference, yeah, but yeah. you have seen some teams at least put stock in Alabama. We can be good at both. Auburn, hey, we could be well, good at basketball. We, you know, so, <laughs> wow. I mean, no, but I'm saying, but, you, but you're Keep seeing, but you're seeing uh, some of these teams actually, you know, Arkansas under Eric Musselman has been pretty good. Yes, they have. So yeah. I, I think you're seeing some of these teams who normally say, oh, the SEC is just about football and some of the other stuff. They don't really care about basketball. But I think they're starting to do that. And if you're Georgia, the, the building has got a lot of work to do if you're oh. going to start heading back towards where you want to compete. Six and 21, mm. last in the SEC, ain't going to cut it. Kevin BJ, the one thing that do not work when you talk about when you talk about SEC basketball is trying to go get these big name coaches to bring them in the SEC program that they go in. Did it work out for Alabama with Avery Johnson? No. Is it working out with Vanderbilt right now? You know, uh, with Stackhouse? No. Is it working out with Tom Cre- I get it. You try. I to think from it. where Vanderbilt came, it's doing all right. I mean, what, what, I think what, they're what, kind what, of in the what, middle what, of the what, league what, right what, now. With Tom Cre- and we talk about this too. Look. Yes, the average player who Dwayne Wade is, they're not going to associate him with Tom Cream because they're going to associate him with, obviously, with the heat and what he's done. But the thing is, outside of, I mean, what? I mean, outside of Anthony Edwards, I mean. It, but what's it, crazy you know? about that is Georgia's had the number one overall pick in the draft, and you still have not had consistent, sustained success. And as you mentioned, Kevin, this season's been really, really bad. I mean, I know you played Auburn down to the wire a couple of games ago. You've had some, you know, you've had some performances that were that were encouraging, but for the most part, this has been a non-competitive team uh, in the SEC, and a lot going on there with that Georgia basketball situation. Yeah, and depending on how Vanderbilt finishes, they're six and eight. They could finish in the upper half of mm. the SEC. Mm-hmm. Uh, Georgia mm-hmm. is one and thirteen in conference. That's good for three games worse than Mizzou, three games worse than Ole Miss in the conference. Not good. So we'll talk to Dane Young coming up top of next hour about all of that and Matt Luke. Also, quick note here, BJ and Ben. Former Georgia Southern head coach Chad Lunsford back in the college football game. He has been hired as the special teams coordinator and tight ends coach there at Florida Atlantic. So headed to Boca Raton to be who? Who? 
Who? Uh, that, that's like your joke. That's your joke. And you're I, I, I you're sitting it. there looking Who? at me like I with a blank face. Who? No, you doing? don't get it. When you say that, you have to let it resonate. You don't Who? say that and then keep talking. You have to say that and then give it three or four. Tell him, Rhett, you have to give it three or four seconds. <laughs> and then Ben came in and then I came Wait. in. No. I'm happy for, happy for Coach Lundstrom. Right, like, don't tell me to chime That's in. Right. I don't know what I'm chiming in on. Happy for Coach uh, uh, yes. Willie Taggart doing yes. a great job there at FAU yes. and uh, great guy. So yeah, Boca Raton. That's a that's a pretty good place. And, and, and that's a program that's winning. That's yeah. a program that yeah. expects to be in the postseason, expects to contend for conference titles. But uh, good to see Coach Lunsford uh, back in the coaching game. Listen, back down, listen, back. You listen, I mean, you go from you go from uh, Statesboro, which ain't nothing wrong with Statesboro, love Statesboro. Now you're on the coast of, now you're on the uh, coast of Florida. Yeah, I mean, life is looking up a little bit for Coach Lunsford these days, but I'm happy for him. I think uh, coaches always look out for coaches. If you're a head coach, that means you can coach any position. You go from coaching out the whole team, now you got the tight ends, now you got the special teams. I think them tight ends you know, down there should be, uh, you know, get some balls thrown their way. We'll see. And again, so that was how it made it official there over the weekend. We've got so much more to come here. Final hour of the program. I'm really looking forward to testing BJ and Ben's brains here on President's Day. Got a President's quiz for you. In honor of President's <laughs> Day, BJ's, yeah, BJ's face is like, you got to be kidding me. Right. No, It's going to be bad. It, it could be. Maybe maybe you guys will surprise me with your presidential and, and some And some of them, which one of these aren't a president? Like a, like a multiple yeah, choice? Yes. I don't think I'd do good at that one either. <laughs> Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton, John Thompson. <laughs> Who's not a president? No, it's not that. It is, <laughs> it is, it is quiz trivia but, about who, about the presidents, and has a sports tie-in. I'll just tell you that. We'll come back. Dane Young will join us, UGASports.com, with that quiz in the final hour as well here on 3 and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. On the program, we'll test BJ and Ben's brains on President's Day here coming up in just a little bit, but a lot going on there in Athens, including some breaking news from this afternoon. And Dane Young, UGASports.com, joins us here on 3 and Out. Dane, welcome to the program. How are you? Dane, appreciate you coming on the show. What can you tell us, Matt Luke, this afternoon, stepping down from the, the Georgia program, what can you tell us there? Is it to take another job? Is he just stepping away? What's the latest? At least as we understand now, he is not taking another job. There's some talk that he wants to spend more time with his family. I know that he's got uh, you know some kids that are doing some youth sports he wants to be a part of. Uh, but, you know, frankly, if Georgia – really, 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 really wanted to make sure that he was going to be staying. There's always a number for these things, right? And so I'm not necessarily saying he was invited to leave, but what I can tell you is Georgia won the national championship. I understand that. But when you talk about the amount of people in that program, 120 players on the roster, uh, especially once you start into, you know, walk-ons and and all that stuff and sports staff, you're going to have people that don't see eye to eye. And from the rumblings that we heard through the season, uh, at least to me, offensive line is probably where most of that generated from on this team, or at least a greater percentage in other positions. Uh, now, some of that's just because guys wanted more playing time. That happens on every single team in the country. Um, but, you know, some of it is that just personality-wise, Matt Luke followed Sam Pittman, who was one of the most beloved coaches in the history of UGA and one of the most beloved football coaches I've ever seen. Uh, and so I think in, for the older guys, the Jamari Salyers, the, the Justin Schaefers, there was kind of that comparison shopping, and Matt Luke wasn't Sam Pittman. And so for a lot of reasons, I think personalities didn't gel in that way, but also some of those guys could have left and they chose not to. So to me, it just seems like one of those things that it probably benefits both Luke and Georgia uh, for it to kind of end the way that it is. So, Dane, where does that leave the dogs in terms of an offensive line coach? Will they look to – 
the staff uh, for somebody that's already in place? Will they have a national search? Uh, who will be the next offensive line coach at UGA? Well, as you know, Kirby Smart starts these processes before these, they become public, and so I'm sure he has a list of names, probably already even talked to a few people uh, about the role. There's a guy on the, on the back end already. He, he's a younger guy named Eddie Gordon, who the players just adore. So he was a graduate assistant. He's turning into um, a quality control person staying with the team. I don't know that he has enough experience that Georgia will push for him to get that job, but I will tell you that whoever gets that job, Eddie Gordon has already made it easier for them because when we talk to recruits uh, and offensive linemen that are going to Georgia, they say Eddie Gordon is the real deal, coach on the rise. We want him around. So that's a big piece of it. And if you just look at the assistant coaches, I mean, this is going to be the fourth assistant coaching change since the national championship, which was not long ago. Uh, and so when you start looking at who George has brought in, they do skew younger. I suspect with offensive line coach, it could be someone a little bit older, maybe more in Todd Munkin's network, uh, maybe someone that Kirby Smart's been around. But I heard Will Muschamp say one time that when it comes to assistant coaches, you want your quarterback coach and your offensive line coach to be tacticians. Everyone else must be recruiters. And so I think this is one you might can skew a little older and rely on your recruiting elsewhere on the staff. And then, I mean, I know you, I know you talked earlier a little bit about how, how uh, you know, Coach Matt Luke don't got the same cachet as a Sam Pittman does, but how much of this has to do with the fact that, listen, you finally won the national championship, you know it's going to be changes, and sometimes, you know, you just don't gel with guys. You, you hope that you can keep as many guys as you possibly can, but how much is this is just, this is just a natural, you know, way of, you know, way of things when you talk about a team trying to not just repeat and get back to the national championship, but they don't want to fall off completely? Yeah, I mean, there's a piece of that where it's just like, let's look what we have coming back. Let's see what's going to be gelling here. And if you sense that maybe there wasn't that kind of community across the offensive line group under Matt Luke, then you're saying what's the potential weakness that could could bite us next year. And it's already going to be, I I think, a really strong offensive line in terms of depth. Uh, But I wouldn't say it's the most experience that Georgia has ever had. I mean, both guard positions will be very young. Uh, Center will be a one-year starter. Uh, and, and, you know, left tackle is going to be a guy that I think started four games and likely being Broderick Jones. And so I, I think there's an element to that. And, you know, it's every team is different. Uh, and so a lot of uh, the offensive line, I think it needs to be a strength for Georgia next season as the defense has turned over so much. And so I think Georgia's looking at it and saying, if there's a potential personality conflict at all, and I, I'm not exactly sure that that's it, but I think there's a piece of it to that. Hey, let's see what we can do to rectify it and make sure that everyone's energized. And we'll certainly be following uh, that story there as well. Dane Young, UGASports.com, joining us here on 3 Out. Dane, you've got, what, about two weeks left in the regular season for college basketball, then the SEC tournament. A lot of what we're hearing out of Athens is Tom Crean, who's got some pedigree as a, uh, as a head basketball coach, that it may just be the clock is ticking and you're playing out the proverbial string before he is fired there in Athens. Is that what you believe to be the case? Absolutely. Uh, that clock's been ticking for a couple months now, I would say. And, you know, with, with Tom Crean, it's kind of maybe an ex- more extreme version of, of what I was kind of referring to with Matt Luke, where it's a relationship business. And at least from what I've been told, that uh, some of the relationships that you have to make to recruit in the state of Georgia, Tom Crean was great at establishing them, but not as great at fostering them. And so that's why you would see good players come to Georgia, but not stay at Georgia. And when you start looking at the severe wheelers and, uh, you know, a couple other guys that are playing really well around college basketball right now. Uh, I do think that that's the case. George is running out the clock. Give it a couple of weeks. You save yourself a couple million dollars in the buyout and get a new basketball coach in there. I mean, this is one of the most historically worst seasons 
uh, that Georgia's ever had, really in any sport, but specifically in basketball. And it's just too good of a fan base to, uh, to, to not try to address that. Dane, walk us through the recent uh, headlines with the, with the Georgia basketball program where you had, I guess, a bit of a scuffle and then uh, Tom Crean on a, on a hot mic. Yeah, so there was a scuffle between assistant coaches. I mean, it's, it's a frustrated group right now. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, some people are trying to point the fingers and say, and you're asking me to do this, but you're not doing this. Or, you know, there, there's just accountability issues. Everyone sees the writing on the wall. It's, it's tough to get those, those last few weeks. Uh, and so, I, from my understanding, protocol was, fall, it was followed on that. Uh, HR was notified, and, and that was that. And then uh, on a post-game news conference on Zoom, uh, some things were said that probably weren't meant for, for most ears. Uh, but, you know, I, I didn't find it to be anything other than just kind of candid like I would want as a media member. Uh, not a great look as a coach to kind of assign blame in other places, but that's also just what happens. And, and to me, it was more like, dude, you got to know you're on a hot mic. We've been doing Zoom now for you know two years in the pandemic. You always have to just think that uh, until you get behind closed doors. Dave, what are, what are realistic expectations for Georgia basketball? Like when you think Georgia, I mean, okay, you you understand the football team, you know, reigns supreme. You bring in a guy like Tom Cream, who obviously what he did at Marquette, you had the number one overall pick, not too many years removed from that with Edwards. But outside of that, like what what is what is the realistic expectation for Georgia basketball at this point? You know, wasn't that the red flag, though, is he had Anthony Edwards, who is, is doing great in the NBA now. He's going to be one of the best young players for, for quite a while in that league, and he played pretty well at Georgia. It reminded me so much of the Ben Simmons year at LSU, where it's like, how do you have the best player in college basketball, and you can't even make the, the tournament? Uh, and, and that's a problem to me. That, that it, it, There's five guys on the court. If you have one of the best in the country, you should make the tournament. I'm not saying you should go win the title, but you got to be able to make the tournament. And, you know, to me it's going to be about uh, getting into those AAU circles around Atlanta, convincing people that you don't have to go to North Carolina and do. You can go to the NBA from Athens just like Anthony Edwards has, just like Nick Claxton did. Uh, and then you have to get guys to buy into that. I, you know, a lot of people say, yeah, we need to get players that you can develop over three and four years. I just don't see that being the economy of basketball anymore. Like, I think with, with the G League and Ignite and all these things, like, you have to get a guy to come in for a year, hope that they're good enough to go to the league, and then get the next one based on the reputation that you earned with that. And I think the best programs have figured that out. I think maybe you get a couple in there. You know, Auburn's doing this right now where it's like 10 new guys on its roster every season, but then you find a year like this one and you're like, okay, it works out because between the transfer portal and the really sub-recruits that you can get in and then maybe the two or three guys that end up staying in your program for three or four years, you hope that it works out, but basketball is going to turn over quicker than ever, and so you have to have a coach that can do that roster management. I was going to say, Dane, so the next question, I know it's hard to talk about it when it's not officially open, but where, where, what do they think they can do in the coaching search? Who can they get? I mean, you look at a state of Georgia. We were talking about this off the air. The state of Georgia high school basketball is very healthy. You're producing Division One talent, and yet in a couple of weeks when they have the Selection Sunday show, I don't think a single Division One program in the state of Georgia is going to make it. So what kind of coach are you getting to walk into a rebuild uh, like that in Athens where you're 6-21 and 21 and what, 1-11, and 11, I think, in SEC play right now? But, you know, I think to me, I look at it the other way. If I'm Josh Brooks, I'm telling coaches, I'm using your point, but I'm turning it the other way. It's saying, look at all these people in the state of Georgia and look at these teams that are also not doing well in the state 
you can come in here and you can dominate because you've got all the resources more than anyone else in the state will, and then you can try to lock down the borders. Your competition is going to be Auburn just a few miles over the border that way, or even Chattanooga a few miles over the border that way, which, you know, Chattanooga's been in the tournament every year for a while. Maybe that's a coach you, you take a look at. Maybe you look at someone uh, that's coaching Cleveland State and gets in the tournament quite often. Maybe you uh, go back to USC like Georgia has for many sports. I think they've taken three coaches from other sports from USC out west. Uh, in the last few months. So maybe you say, Andy Enfield, do you want to come back east and do what you did at Florida Gulf Coast? I don't know. To me, I would skew younger. I, I think that that tends to be what's been working in college basketball. Or at minimum, you look at it and you're saying, all right, Bruce Pearl's doing this here. What's going on at Tennessee and Mississippi State and these other places? And you say, well, let's get someone that's younger and try to put a different voice and face into those AAU circles that really says come to Georgia. Because unless you get the players at Georgia – uh, the, the recruiting is, is what matters first, but there is some retention in that, too. Dane Young, UGASports.com. I guess, Dane, just finally, is it expected to be that quick? As soon as Georgia loses in the SEC tournament, the uh, the next day it's uh, we're looking for a new coach? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if it leaks that night, frankly. Uh, they've had plenty of time to get this ready to roll out. It's, it's a certainty. I, I suppose you could say that in the miracle of all miracles, if the sports movie happens and Georgia makes a run to the SEC tournament and somehow finds a way to win, it would be the craziest thing in the history of the sport. Uh, then, yeah, that would delay it, and then you'd have to change course a bit. Uh, but I would be, like, absolutely flabbergasted if that happened. Dane Young, UGASports.com, our guest here on 3 Out. Dane, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. Appreciate it, Nick. And Tom Crean, as he said, almost a certainty going to be done as soon as Georgia's season is over. And Matt Luke, as he said, kind of a parting of the ways, not taking another job, taking time off to spend with his family kids, but out as offensive line coach there in Athens. And a lot of coaching turnover. Uh, and, and, and look, you expect that, Ben, as you said, after you win a national championship, when you're one of the top programs in the country, uh, teams are going to come and, and, and look at your staff. And sometimes uh, – as is the case for any program, you have coaches who want to step away for other reasons, but I think Coach Luke did a good job. It'll be interesting to see who the dogs get to replace him. Yeah, and, I, and, and sometimes, too, when you hear about, uh, when you hear about uh, like, uh, just dysfunction or, you know, or disagreements, I don't want to say dysfunction, disagreements that, uh, as far as, like, uh, you know, the offensive line coach, coaches in general. Hey, man, those type of things happen. You, you kind of like the fact when they say, listen, Coach, look, if you want to step down, could you just say, hey, I'm going to step down, kind of like uh, doing right by the program, which you can, you can always respect, but – Look, man, it's big. You thought it was expectations before. You knew on his offense somebody was going to be blamed, right? You like, hey, man, what what was it all? Because you know, quarterback check, receivers, eh, running backs. So they said, well, let's just go to the offensive line because you know uh, Matt Luke don't got the same cash as Sam Pittman. But I mean, I I think Matt Luke gonna be just fine. I think he's gonna land on his feet. But I do appreciate him just not trying to make it a bigger story than it already is, and by just saying, listen, man, I'm just gonna step down. I wish those guys the best. We've got more to come. Guys, you got your thinking caps on. we got our President's I Day cap on. I don't know if quiz I'm coming up next here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigs. Good to have you back here on 3 and Out. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, glad you're making us a part of your day here on this Monday. And it's President's Day, BJ and Ben. I know one of your favorite holidays in, uh, in all, of the, uh, all of the land. So I've composed a little presidential trivia for you and Ben I know y'all are excited about it. I'm excited because I get because to you be, don't have to answer. I don't have to be the one getting all the answers wrong. So we'll do this as we do a lot of trivia. I will read the question. If you wish to answer, just hop in. First one in, we'll get to answer. And then if you get it right, we'll move on. If you get Hold it wrong, on, I gotta ask something the first. other person will get a chance to throw their now, answer in there. 
is it? I have a list. I have a list of all the presidents. Can I okay. use the list to pick from? To or pick no? names? I yeah. mean, as long as it's just a generic I mean, list of list? presidents. No, you don't get to see no list. I mean, Mister, write down everything. No, I needed this for me. This is mine. We ain't helping just to each make other. sure you can come this up with names. This ain't for to help me. No, no okay. I don't know that that will help you, other than to give you a name to guess. But that being said, I'm glad I don't have to do this either. Because let's be real, there's certain presidents that nobody knows, right? Like nobody is thinking of Millard Fillmore on a regular basis. And no, exactly. Is, See, that, a, is, said, that, is that a real president? That is a real president. He don't ask me. Wh- don't don't ask me which one. <laughs> I don't know. All right, moving. Here we go. So, presidential trivia here on President's Day. Five U.S. presidents have played college football. Can you name them? Five U.S. presidents have played college football. Two at what you would consider major college football. Three others just played college football. I think but, I read something one time about one president. Are, are you trying I'll, to answer? Go, I, go, ahead. I, go ahead. I guess. This is more of what you get right, what, so you're not going to uh, lose anything for getting This may be totally wrong, but did Gerald Ford play at Michigan? That is one. Gerald Ford did, but really? apparently he was a center that, that and linebacker one. and was apparently good enough where he could have been drafted potentially into okay, the so, NFL. So do I get cra- does that count as that being was, the answer? This is one like PJ and Christian both got their half on. There's one other question. So <laughs> that's one of them. There's four, there's four others who played. Okay, but college do I get football. but 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 did I get one right? Kansas you got, I got one, one right. right. Yes, you no, got not one, one out of five, but one. You got one out of five. Oh, you want credit for yeah, the whole I want answer? One out of ten. Well, I said name five, but if Ben can do better than one, I will I, I will give right, Ben. Go credit. ahead. So he got Gerald Ford. There's four others. Can you name more than one? If you can just name one. Then you can tie BJ on this I mean, question. I'm thinking like, uh, what about Eisenhower? Are you continuing to guess? Or are you seeing yes, your I'm, time? I'm guessing. Dwight Eisenhower is another one. He played at Army. Yeah, that's what that's what I was thinking. Is somebody played at Army or Navy? Yeah. All right. There's three. Up, there's three others. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I have two. I have two now. Two out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you, Rhett. All right. There's three other presidents who have played college football. Uh, I mean, you've already guessed two, so you've lowered the pool down to 44 presidents. Keep in mind that some presidents McKinley. were presidents and college football McKinley. didn't exist. McKinley. No. Incorrect. You finally got one wrong. Ben, do you care to take a guess? You can pass. It's fine. This is a hard question. I didn't answer any right. So. I mean, you didn't. That gives me a lot of, that gives yes. me a lot of confidence. Uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, man. Uh. Dude, I, mean, I feel like I gave. Joe, up. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean. I feel like I whittled the pool down pretty good. You did when um, I when I said my last statement. Five. I mean, pre- I mean Harry, Harry S. Truman. That is a good guess, but incorrect. The correct answer is BJ got Dwight Eisenhower at Army, Gerald Ford at Michigan. Again, he was all American at Michigan. Richard Nixon played college football. Ronald Reagan played college football at, of course, world famous Eureka College, Eureka. and JFK played. At Harvard. Well, he was on the team at Harvard. He didn't get much PT. So (laughs) there are the five presidents who played college football. So, BJ, I give you credit for one answer. Even though you didn't get the full answer, that was a tough one. All right. Did I get more than Christian and PJ? Or or did they get multiple? uh, Christian got two on that one, I I think, as well. Next question. Which president threw out the first first pitch? If you get this one, I will be amazed. (laughs) The first first pitch? Yes, the first as you know, presidential tradition uh, had gotten started. Who was the guy that started it by throwing out the first presidential first pitch? No. Uh, I'm guessing this was a long time ago. 
that could be a decent assumption. Who threw out the first first pitch as a president? I don't know. I was I was I was looking at a list earlier, and as you said, a lot of presidents. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, either I hadn't heard of. We or really know about like ten presidents. I was trying That's to think some from like the eight, like Taft. Is that your answer? Yes. The correct answer is William Howard Taft. Are you Nineteen ten. Are you serious? Yes. For a bonus point, do you know what game it was? Just name the two uh, cities. I'll give you New bonus. York. No. Incorrect. It was the Washington Nationals and Philadelphia A's. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess the that does make sense. So, William William Howard Taft, 1910. BJ, I, I'm telling you, you thought you were... All right. All right, Ben, this might be a comeback question. Since it became tradition of presidential first pitches, three presidents have not done it. Which three presidents have skipped doing the opening day first pitch? The opening day first pitch? Yep. I'm throwing out the first pitch as presidential custom on opening day. There's three presidents that have not done it. This is much easier. Is it? I need the peanut gallery to calm down. Um, it should, if you think about this, might not be as hard of an answer as, as as it could be. There are three guys. Just think. I mean, just think. Okay. Uh, three. So, okay, apparently uh, Ben's going to guess. Joe Biden. Joe Biden would be one of them. Uh... Oh, my God. Uh, uh, Trump and Barack? Donald Trump is two. Barack Obama, though, incorrect. Remember, Barack did one oh. in Chicago and looked like 50 Cent throwing it out there at the uh, at the first pitch. So I'm going to give Ben partial credit on that one. He got two out of three. Care to take a step? Because I don't think anybody would get the third one because this is one that wouldn't make sense that he fell in this category. Do you want me to tell you? Yeah, just tell us. Jimmy Carter. Which, considering all the Braves games he and his wife have been to, like he never threw out the first pitch. So, Jimmy Carter, Trump, and Biden, the only three well presidents since it started that have not done the first pitch. All right. Here the President's Day quiz. Who was the first president to welcome a, a professional championship team to the White House? Of course, that's a custom. You know, you uh-huh. win the, the championship. Uh, I they had done a college team before by, by, by proxy of the question. No, I, no I, this is just the – no, I think this is the, this, just any team. The first team is as custom. You win a championship. You win the Olympics. You come to the White House. Who was the first president to welcome a championship team to the White House? Uh, I mean, is that, that feels like a relatively new thing. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know if that was happening in like 1910. I can't give you any hints. Well, I'm, this, I'm, so. I'm just talking it out. I'm not yeah. trying to like gauge your facial expressions. I'm just trying to talk it out so we don't have us just sitting here going, yes. uh, uh. Yeah, I mean, seems like a, do you think that's a relatively new thing? I mean, yeah. I mean, they can't, it, it, I mean, it goes back and they're going to go way, like way back. I, Nixon. Richard Nixon is incorrect. Ben? Uh, Nobody got this one in the uh, in the pre-screening of the... Uh, uh, dude. Let me get... Uh, I don't know who dude was as president. Let me get... Uh, <laughs> Truman? Harry S. Truman, a good guess, but incorrect. It was a guy that had a lot of notoriety for the military. It was Ulysses S. Grant. Really? And the Cincinnati wow. Red so, Stockings. So not relatively new. No. Okay. The Cincinnati, uh, Cincinnati Red Stockings, and it was four years the after Cincinnati they won Red the championship. Stockings? But he, Yes. Okay. Before they became the Reds. So <laughs> Ulysses S. Grant, first president to welcome a championship team. All right. That being said, this one's a little harder. Who was the first president to actually attend a Major League Baseball game? The first president who actually showed up and attended a Major League Baseball game. 
Uh, all right, so a mate, so uh, so not a sporting event. This is major league. Uh, I don't know why that would. Uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to talk it out here. Yeah, the first president to attend a major league baseball game. Presidential trip. President's a, Day trip. President here. I haven't named that I know of. William McKinley. William McKinley, good guess, but incorrect. Uh, Hoover. Hoover, good guess, but incorrect. This is one of the guys that when you say name the presidents, nobody would guess this guy. Benjamin Harrison, 1892. I was going to say Ben Harrison because it's been, first name Ben. I was going to say <laughs> So he attended the first president to attend the uh, first major league baseball game. All right, President's Day trivia. Guys are doing fine. You've got two already, and Ben's got one. You guys were thinking it was going to be straight zeros. <laughs> Which president? has been recognized by the National Wrestling Hall of Fame for his wrestling abilities. Man. And uh, apparently there's a mural. You can go look at it at the National Wrestling Hall of Fame for for this president. Oh, yeah. Now, for some reason, I know he's already been an answer, but for some reason, a name, I'm thinking I read a story, much like I read the story about uh, uh, Ford playing football at Michigan. For some reason, I'm wanting to say Ronald Reagan. As a wrestler? Yeah. Is that your answer? That is incorrect. Okay. You be scaring me. This president has been recognized by the National Wrestling Hall of Fame for his wrestling abilities. Herbert Hoover. No. No. Answer? Abe Lincoln. Apparently oh, quite really? <laughs> wow. A, apparently quite the grappler. Apparently as a uh, wrestler in his youth, and you didn't want to mess with Honest Abe. Uh-huh. Apparently he was honest, but he would whip your behind. <laughs> Six foot four and getting it. Uh, Abe Lincoln. All right. Next question. Do a fine here on the President's Day trivia. Which president played in not one, but two college World Series? So a former president has played in two nope. college nope. World Series. Uh, Think about that for a uh, for a second. Two of them. It's a beast. I mean, part of a dynasty. Yes. That might actually be a clue you gave yourself. Uh, Bush. I'm gonna need a more specific answer. The younger George Bush. That is incorrect. Well, let me get let me let me get the older George. That Bush, would dude. be correct, George <laughs> Herbert Walker. I got to at least get a quarter of a point. <laughs> yeah. George Herbert, George Herbert Walker Bush with Yale played in the very first two College World Series, forty-seven and nineteen forty-eight. Family like owned baseball, team? and they owned a baseball team. That's why when you said dynasty, I'm like, well, there you go. I was a, maybe a little bit of a and, I, and, for and, and I did get to meet both of them when we uh, we used to play the Texans. They used to be they used to both be on the field. So yes, I have met them both. All right, so. We're all tied up. We have three. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Technically, we both got a full answer. Yeah. I got two and you got two. So are we? So yeah, we are exactly. Yeah, you're tied up with, I'm three, just, with three questions man, 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 to go. So, so I didn't read. So I, you know, I'm, I'm not a, you know, I don't yeah. watch the History Channel every other night. <laughs> three questions to go. We're knotted up here on President's Day trivia. Who or which, I should say, which president suffered permanent eye damage while boxing during his presidency? Permanent eye damage. They caught them hands. Um, and, and PJ actually had a great question of this. I was like, I'm not going to give it to you. This? No, he, he he knew who it was, but he didn't know the president's name. He described the president, and I was like, actually, I think you might be right, but you don't know his name. So, which president suffered permanent eye damage? Got to be from way back. While boxing during his presidency. Permanent eye damage. I'm going to say Grover Cleveland. 
Grover Cleveland is a good guess, but incorrect. Ben? William Henry Harrison. That is incorrect. This guy was known as kind of a macho dude in his day. PJ's clue. Let me see if this helps you out. You're both wrong already. PJ goes, was it the dude with the monocle? And I said, actually, I think that would be a good clue for yourself. <laughs> Do you know who he's? No. It would be Teddy Roosevelt. You see him, he's always got the little mon- Okay. He was he, apparently he was having like a fight club. Nobody talks about fight club in the White House. And apparently, <laughs> as he got a little older, some uh, army guy jacked him up one day and messed his eye up. He said, maybe there's uh, enough of that boxing in the White House. So Teddy Roosevelt was the boxer. All right. Next question. We're tied 2-2. Who was the first president to attend an Army-Navy game? First president to attend the Army-Navy game. I mean, would it make sense to be Eisenhower? No. Dwight Eisenhower is a good guess. Former military guy. Incorrect. Ben? Mm. Let's see. Give me Calvin Coolidge. Calvin Coolidge was a good guess. If y'all were paying attention, guy who was a beast, big on military, Teddy Roosevelt was the first guy to attend the Army-Navy game. Last question. Hey, we already both both beat PJ Christian. It is two to two. Ben, you cannot let BJ beat you on something like presidential trivia on President's Day. Okay. You will will be able to lord this over his head for the rest of time. All right. Final question. Who was the first sitting president to attend a college basketball game? First sitting president to attend a college basketball game. And I will say that both of you should know this. First president to attend. I remember watching a Duke game that Barack Barack Obama was at, yeah. I would guess Barack Barack Obama. That is incorrect. You said Barack first. Ben, you do have a chance. Barack Obama is incorrect. First sitting president to attend a, a college basketball game. First president to attend a college basketball game. Bill Clinton? It was Bill Clinton! (laughs) It was Bill Clinton! If you remember back in the day, this was a big deal because Bill Clinton from Arkansas went and watched Arkansas play Texas Southern in 1994. And in 1995, obviously the crossover, that Arkansas team won the national championship. And Bill Clinton was like, hey, I'm the first college basketball president-in-chief because he was big into watching the Hogs play. Bill Clinton, Ben wins presidential trivia. Three I was very impressed. I, I, I was thinking about uh, President Obama used to pick the game, yeah, yeah, pick yeah, the yeah. tournament games. Yeah, I, but Bill Clinton, they Bill were, Clinton, Arkansas had like Nolan Richardson. There was like, yeah. yeah, it was like a big to do because they're like they had to shut down the arena to get Bill Clinton in there, and it was a pain to let everybody in because obviously you have presidential security. And he went to the game, and then afterwards went down, and Nolan Richardson gave him a ball and all that kind of stuff in the in the locker room. But Bill Clinton, first sitting president to go watch a college basketball game, Ben wins it. Great presidential trivia today. Congratulations, Ben. Hold this over BJ's head for the rest of time. It's three and out. I'm I'm going to do do my best. I don't don't get a lot of wins on this show. We'll come back with more three and out. Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Three and out on this Monday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, good job on the presidential uh, trivia there for President's Day. But you got spring practices opening up all across the, uh, the South. As we talked earlier, Jamie Chadwell, they're almost done. Another week and a half to go with their spring practice. But uh, Georgia Tech starts tomorrow. Tough schedule for Jeff Collins and transfer guys all over the place. In the last three days, three defensive guys have now entered the transfer portal. So tough schedule, tough situation for Jeff Collins. Do you read into that? What we were just talking about with 
Georgia and Georgia basketball guys getting out, thinking maybe there's not stability in the coaching program and in, in, in the coaching ranks there at, at Georgia Tech. I mean, I don't know that I would read too much into the transfer portal because every every team gets hit by by, by transfers. I mean, that's the modern status quo in college football, and it's also not a guarantee that you're going to be bad the following year. Didn't Tennessee lose over a third of its roster uh, this past year, and then ended up with a uh, bowl team that that finished with, what, seven or eight wins, and now you're talking about a team getting some preseason top 15 type attention. So I think I think player turnover, roster turnover is something that happens. I think the key for Georgia Tech is you have to establish an identity and, and some consistency. I think that's been maybe the most troubling aspect of some of Georgia Tech's struggles is that not only have there been stretches where you, quite frankly, haven't been very good, but you haven't even really looked like a team that, 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 that has a clear objective in, in, in terms of are we a running team? Are we a play-action team? Uh, what is the consistency of our play calling going to be? Are we making plays defensively? Georgia Tech has had moments where you've watched them on the field and thought, this is a team that can play with anybody. Remember, took Clemson down to the wire. That was at Clemson. Played North Carolina in Mercedes-Benz and absolutely put it on North Carolina. I mean, that was that's about as bad as we saw North Carolina look during the Sam Howell era was that win by Georgia Tech. And then you have games where you give up a late lead to Northern Illinois, who was really bad, and you lose on a on a on a on a late two point conversion. You have and understandably to a certain extent, but you have not even been competitive at all against Georgia. Uh, I, I just think the consistency has been problematic. And to me, if I'm Jeff Collins, I think it makes sense to focus on the fundamentals. I know that sounds like a cliche, but sometimes the best way to to kind of get back to just being what you can be is focusing on doing what you should do. And I think some sometimes the little things got away from Georgia Tech. Uh, I still think this is a talented team. I think from a recruiting standpoint, Georgia Tech's done a pretty good job. I mean, you're not recruiting with Georgia, but who is? But in terms of the ACC, I mean, outside of Clemson and maybe Carolina and, you know, Florida State and Miami have been there, but Georgia Tech's been one of the better recruiting teams in the ACC. Uh, I think this is a team that has to like its quarterback, Jeff Sims, former former four- or five-star recruit who's done some nice things. I think even without Jameer Gibbs, you have some playmakers at running back. Uh, questions for me would be along both sides of the line of scrimmage. Do you feel like you have the depth? Uh, do you feel like you have enough playmakers at wide receiver? Uh, I know you have to replace a lot in the secondary. Uh, so there are questions, but I think Georgia Tech has potential, has talent. You just got to focus on the little things and become consistent with what you do. That return on investment is going to be uh, the biggest storyline because, unfortunately, for Georgia Tech, they got one of the hardest, if not the hardest, schedule in college football once again. The key number is how close can you get to six? Because I think sometimes when we look at it, we we BJ, you talk about you talk about Tennessee. Well, I think it's a good example. I mean, nobody thought they they thought it was going to be bottom feeders. Next thing you know, I mean, they seven wins. That's that's better than that's better than Florida did. That's better than Mizzou did. So when people, so you go back to that that preseason narrative of who's going to be competing for second in the East. Well, when people, are, it could be Tennessee. You look at you look at what uh you know who commit to that to that entire office of that entire team. We talk about Georgia Tech is, I know, fair or unfair. How close can you get to six? And can you get to six? Because, yes, that means you're going to have to win some games. You probably shouldn't. But if you talk about Jeff Collins, I mean, look, people are saying, look, man, what you known for? Defense hasn't really been there. Jameer Gibbs, you was able to snag him when everybody wanted that kid a couple of years ago. Now he's moved on to, obviously, Alabama. You're going to be like, we need balance on offense. We need consistency on defense. We need, you know, uh, continuity on, on special teams. But – I'm sorry, unfortunately for, for, for Georgia Tech, we hurt them. It's not Clemson being down. It was Pitt. 
It was Wake Forest. These are the two teams that was in the ACC championship game. These are not two teams that that are you know uh, you know uh, uh, big time like uh, you know programs year in and year out. So for Jeff Collins, is look, man, I know that we've been like bottom feeders because of who we've been playing, but this is the same team that should have beat Clemson last year. Like Clemson should have been one of their Clemson should have been one of uh, Georgia Tech wins instead of a loss. This is a team that dominated North Carolina, even though obviously they took away a home game. So for Georgia Tech, it's going to be. I mean, can we get the five wins? Because if, if, if Jeff Collins can get the six wins this year. That's ACC Coach of the Year type stuff. When you look at the type of teams they got in conference and out of conference, but I think, unfortunately for Jeff Collins, is he's going to have to do something this year. It can't It can't be no more. I mean, first they gave you a mulligan because you're going from, you know, one of the best offenses ever to a different offense, right? They're going to give you that. Then it's, okay, man, you've had – then you got to get the guys in there. So that's year two. So now you're talking about, okay, who are we? You got a true freshman at quarterback start. People give you a mulligan for that. But now it's like, all right, man, we've seen that we've seen us against Clemson, seen us against North Carolina. Who are we as a team? Because then you got Northern Illinois. You know, it's it's almost like, who is this team? You're gonna have to be able to put it all together, whether transfer portal, guys wanna stay, guys wanna leave. Because if you are Georgia Tech, you're saying, look, man, the brand is bigger than whoever's coaching, but unfortunately, we we sink and swim on who is coaching. They're gonna have to find a way to get to five, maybe six wins. But this is an important spring because the sure. schedule is so tough, and this is a big season. To your point, Ben, I mean I I I don't, I don't know if this is the case, but I know some people we've talked to have said, look, Jeff Collins needs to get bowl eligible. Maybe that's fair. Maybe it's not. But when you look at the schedule just from afar, uh, right now that looks like it's going to be a challenge. And that's not necessarily because Georgia Tech has questions as much as it is off the top of my head. In some order, you have Clemson, Georgia, North Carolina, Miami, Virginia Tech, Florida State, Ole Miss, and Central Florida. And Notre Dame. And Notre Dame. And yep. Notre Dame. And, and granted, some of those teams aren't great, but four or five of those teams are going to be in the national top 15. So I think this is a spring that comes with some pressure, fair or unfair. I think this is a, a, a spring, some coordinator changes, some coaching changes, new offensive coordinator. This is a spring where there there should be a sense of urgency. Uh, I think it's a very important spring for the Yellow Jackets. Sam Pittman, get, Sam Pittman got his first, you know, he, I mean, obviously got a head coach job at Arkansas. His first game out the gate was against Georgia, and they had an all-SEC schedule. You look at what he's done. You look at what he's done since he's been there. I know we I know we get caught up in, look, I know we get caught up in the narrative of, oh, Georgia Tech got this. Look, you got to, Cincinnati had to beat Notre Dame to get in the college football playoff. All I'm saying is Georgia Tech got the players. Because you can't blame the players. These are the guys you went out there and recruited. They're going to have to go out there and get it done. I know Kevin and BJ, we were saying, who is it? Who are they? Uh, you know, game in a game out. Well, I, with, again, you know, you know, there, there, there were signs of optimism where you were losing a lot of close games, and then towards the end, the wheels kind of fell off, and you got blasted in a, in a number of games. But then you go out and you lose Jameer Gibbs to Alabama, who transfers, and I think people were saying, "All right, is the band breaking up, so to speak? Like you're building, building, then it all falls apart, and you kind of have to start over with some of the recruits." I, I think are there games that that can be won. Sure, but right now, where are they? I think that's the big question is, where are they on the schedule? Uh, because you only can go by what you've seen, and that's an offense that had identity issues, d- didn't know what they kind of wanted to do, uh, didn't seem like. In certain situations, a defense, that's kind of what you hired Jeff Collins. Like, hey, look, he's a defensive guy. When he was a coordinator at, at Florida, defenses were in the, in the top three, four, five with what he's able to do. Even the defenses at Temple were, were pretty consistent. Obviously, uh, when you're at a place like Temple, are you going to be in the top 10 every year? No, but were they consistently b- above average? Yes, and I think that's what you were hoping for, and you didn't get any of that. You had a senior-laden defensive backfield where you have one or two of those guys wind up in the NFL, and you were last in, the, in, in, in college football in interceptions. Like, how was that possible? 
Like so, I so I I think you look at uh, some of those situations. That's where you draw some concerns and some questions of: Is it a talent problem? Is it a coach problem? I think they've addressed some of the coaching issues, as you said, BJ, with offensive coordinators and uh, some of those changes that were made. But now you got to go out and prove it, and it is a tough, tough schedule. Tough, tough schedule, and you're not doing Jeff Collins any favors on that front. But you didn't win some of the easy games last year, uh, quote unquote. Your first game out, you lost to a team that was 0-6 the year prior. Got beat at home to a team that was 0-6 the year prior. Now, Northern Illinois, I think, ended up winning the conference uh, they were in. But still, uh, you lost right out of the gate to a team that was 0-6 and that kind of, the year before, and that kind of set you off on the wrong foot. We've got more to come. Three and out here on the Southern Pigskin. Good to have you here on this Monday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben coming up tomorrow on the program. Zachary Carter, former Florida defensive lineman, now prospect going ahead to the National Football League. He'll join us on the show, so looking forward to that. Appreciate Dane Young joining us on the show from Dog UGA, excuse me, UGA Sports, uh, com. Also, Jamie Chadwell, head coach at Coastal Carolina, join us. And Emory Hunt from Football Game Plan. And, Rhett, I'll congratulate you. Thanks for reading three and out our take three Why stuff here on the show. Finally, uh, finally giving him his due. Because I'm Goodness. <laughs> Ben, this is what I deal with all day, every day. We'll come back. We'll see you tomorrow. I'll try to keep him quiet for a whole day. No. Three and a half on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter, Pigskin Radio.